0: Hey, how's it going, everyone? I'm excited about this uh latest book that I'll be reading here on audio. We're going to release this as a video and as an audio, so you can find this, obviously, on YouTube and uh Rumble and all the other social media platforms, as well as Audible. Um, I thought it'd just be fun to do the video, and I've also got the audio here recording. Um, It's just it's such an important message right now. So I'm going to just start reading the book. How this is a little bit different is when I read my books, I don't just, you know, stick only to the manuscript in a monotone tone. Um, Matt, there's current events. If something's on my heart, I will share it. That's why the audio versions of the book, uh, are really powerful because I'm going to add a lot of extra commentary on, you know, everything that's going on. But also, um, I encourage people, uh, to read the ebook. And the ebook has links. So you can click the link, it'll take you to an article. You can click the link, it'll take you to a sermon that's related. And I believe, uh, depends on when you'll be listening. We have all of my ebooks on the church website, westsidechristianfellowship.org. Again, that's westsidechristianfellowship.org under free ebooks, and you can just click it there. And I think those, I know on Amazon and Kindle and all that it works, but on those, I also believe that version of the download Um, should take you to those links as well. So anyway, let me get get started here. The title is, If My People, If My People, In Case of National Emergency, Read This. And I think we can all pretty much agree that uh, this is a time for national emergency for sure. It's copyright, copyright, sorry, wrote. Um, And also on these, I don't correct most of my mistakes. So you can can have all of me, uh, mistakes and all. Uh, it's It was copyrighted in two thousand and twenty, and i 'm mainly using the uh, new King James uh, version of the Bible. but I want to read the contents. I think it's so important, and if you 're on video, I think I can switch over and you can see it here uh, the content contents of this book it 's a short read, I think only yeah under ninety pages we 're going to talk about the destabilization of America in the introduction. And then the first chapter, humility, 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 the first step toward revival. And then as we go on, uh, prayer, the sin of prayerlessness. And then three, seeking, igniting, revival, dead bones come alive. And then repentance, desperate for change. And then I'm going to add in there, uh, fasting. Uh, fasting adds spiritual strength. And then six, post pandemic pastors and the sin of silence. And the appendix I have is answered prayers uh that were you know can motivate and then recommended reading and then the note section with some of you bookworms and nerds like me like to read the note section. So anyway, I'm gonna get started on this and I'm probably gonna do um you know on the video releases we'll probably do it one chapter at a time. Uh, it'll take the place of a podcast. And then on the audio version of obviously you can just keep you know reading through. But I do want to give an important note from the author which would be me obviously um, again all the books are available uh, at the westsidechristianfellowship.org those are free downloads and then obviously at my website shaneidleman.com uh, we have links to where you can order it on all the other different platforms and i wrote here although i don't recommend oh i'm sorry although i recommend articles <clears throat> and authors in this book i don't endorse them or always agree with their position. My goal is to offer the reader as much information as possible. And then I go on to say, if you're reading the print version of this book, my encouragement is to download the ebook so you can click and read articles and listen to sermons I reference and things like that. So let me begin with the introduction, the destabilization of America. I wrote this in 2020 and, um, no it was, it was released 2020 i believe i wrote in 2019 um maybe it'll maybe it'll add more information as i go on here but now i'm reading this january the end of january 2023 3 years later and let me tell you the destabilization has only increased but there is um You know, there's going to be some hard things to talk about. We see a lot of negativity. But I also want to remind you that there is great hope. When we serve God Almighty, there is great hope. What can man do to me other than kill me? What can man do to me? But God can, you know, kill me, obviously, in the Bible. Jesus actually said, cast both body and soul in hell. And so there's an encouragement as believers. And if you're not a believer, there's an encouragement to become a believer and believe in the one true and living God. And then tremendous hope comes in. So in the midst of these difficult conversations and things I'll be reading, there's great hope because I believe God also revives us at very dark points of of history. So the destabilization of America, it seems that everyone is sensing the destabilization of America. Books can be written on how we got to this point, but let me offer just a few thoughts from a biblical perspective. Now, I did forget to mention at the beginning, the title, If My People. If My People. I guess we could say, instead of read this, in case of national emergency, read this, we could say, in case of national emergency, watch this, if you're watching on social media. But the whole premise of this is based on If My People, uh, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, Second Chronicles, very famous passage, um, if they humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And a lot of people say, you know, that really doesn't apply today. And I'm a context guy. I love context and I'll probably talk about that in a little bit, but I believe the principles still apply. Okay. It's written to the nation of Israel when Solomon became king, when I bring pestilence, when I bring famine, when I bring drought. Hello. You know, if my people, not Hollywood, not Washington, if my people do these things, it could, it could tune the ear of God towards us. So I know the context. Um, is, is for the nation of Israel, but the overarching principle of, of prayer and fasting and seeking God and, and turning from sin, I mean, those are those are incredible. Um, so we are destabilized right now by false information. Uh, unless you've been on Mars or have had your head in the sand for the last decade, you have clearly seen how so many in the secular media purposely create false narratives and use lies and carefully edit have-truths to push their agenda— Everything from the, the the global agenda of of you know fossil fuel to um, to the jabs, you know, uh, to um, I mean you name it, you name it. To that's that the, that's the, the the problem with a lot. I mean on the right or the left, but what we're seeing a lot of times on the media, the left and different things is. I'm gonna I'm gonna alter the truth if it pushes my agenda. And we know from the get-go that is not a good spot to be in. Uh and they withhold information um such as reporting on the number of you know certain lives that were taken or certain uh movements, what's really behind these movements, who's funding these movements. Um and the lesson here then is to be cautious about where we get our information. Much of the media is owned by large corporations who would love to see America fail. So you remember, they think America is bad. Imperialistic, meaning we went and conquered nations for our own gain. Uh, the slavery issue and and reparations and all kinds of things. America's just evil. So we've got to break down the whole foundation and rebuild. The problem with, with it, that is not true. The foundation, if the foundation is God's word, it's re- really good. We actually need to go back to that foundation and not tear up that foundation and bring in everything from wokeness to critical race theory to political correctness to mink can have babies to we've lost our mind um, and i remember back when i wrote this book one recent headline said cnn sticks to liberal script ignores black police officers killed in riots uh, and this is appalling and it should not be tolerated and that's a big deal on this race issue is the media is actually fueling it. Yes, there's racism in our nation. It's everywhere in the whole world. Did you know that? It's in the whole world and every ethnicity. Why? Because it's connected to the sin issue. Uh, So it's not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. And what they're trying to do is push these false narratives and different things to get us to um, really capitulate and bow down to the altar of what they want. And then the next section here, destabilization by the enemy within. Many people are coming to believe that what we are witnessing is an orchestrated attempt to destroy our economy and disrupt our elections. Okay, I think I wrote this probably when all this, the the 2020 elections were being disrupted. Uh, Peaceful protests are infiltrated by hate groups paid by individuals with deep pockets to create confusion and chaos. Why is there such a huge upheaval? It's simple. The current administration has become a major roadblock to the liberal agenda. Again, writing now about the Trump agenda uh, Trump administration. Regardless if you're on the right or left, what you think of him actually doesn't matter. I'm just talking about facts and this. That, that's the facts. Uh, what he was trying to accomplish, the liberal agenda, and that would be a whole nother podcast. Um, they're just trying to stop it. And they are working to minimize uh they work to minimize the murdering of babies I'm sorry let me let me uh i think that that was a little confusing here um okay the current administration has become a major roadblock to the liberal agenda this is why they are working to minimize the murdering of babies in, via abortion they're actively addressing racial and social social economic issues and trying to do the right thing the right way the right way the right thing the right way uh, they are um, wanting to be a tear terror to terrorists and bring the Bible and God back to Washington, the nation's schools. They want to remove the pulpit silencing of the Johnson Amendment. And uh, Christians with godly values are being promoted to some of the highest places in in office in America. Uh, the president is surrounding himself with godly counsel. There's a love for Israel. They're, they are honoring. They're honoring hard work and minimizing free handouts. And the list of Christ-honoring accomplishments is uh impressive now you see what the real battle is so again doesn't matter what your view left right independent hate trump love trump these are just facts folks if you get if you're upset then you're upset the facts there's nothing i can do do about that Uh, the facts are an interesting thing because you there's nothing you can do about them except present them so but we do see what the real battle is now the real battle is is for the soul of our nation. God doesn't judge a nation based on the character of one man. He judges it based on the spiritual health of its people. Never forget that. Now, theologically, uh, if we we look at um, hermeneutics and studying the Bible, and God dealt with nations differently in the Old Testament than he does now, you know, I I got that. But one person, the character of one person, if that one person is pushing godly agendas and godly policies and you have lots of Christians in positions of leadership, you know, that can be a, he- a very healthy thing. And I don't think we're, we're called to take over, uh, but I think we're called to influence. I don't know if things are going to get better, uh, but I know that we're called to make a, a difference until Christ does. And so that's kind of where I, I keep my, where I hang my hat. Uh, destabilization by intolerance. Uh, Those waving banners of tolerance are often the most intolerant toward those who oppose them. As one Birmingham pastor recently discovered, Tony Perkins writes, A handful of likes were all it took to make the biggest church in Alabama homeless. Believe it or not, a local English teacher decided to catalog the pastor's likes on Facebook and then share them with the press. This motivated the local high schools to revoke the church's lease. Am I the only one who sees the hypocrisy of school district leaders and teachers who behave in this manner while crying out tolerance tolerance we all just need to be tolerant uh give me a break folks your hypocrisy is not only alarming it's very clear and the, they they just want to get Christian ideas out of the public arena get Jesus's name out of things get God's word out of things and we should be able to say our our our, our view and 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 articulate what we believe. And I think, uh, I think it's a, uh, if I'm not mistaken, right now, this week, 2023 January, I think it's a policeman who was asked to really like step down or he's going to be terminated in the future just because on his own personal Facebook page, he shared his belief in gay marriage. See, what's happening is we are. Ha- People are having to capitulate. You bow down to the, the idol sexual perversion, or else. It's not about tolerance. What it is is you need to tolerate me, but I'm not going to tolerate you. That's what this this whole thing is uh, about. So and we also have destabilization with class warfare. Rasmussen recently reported that there is a 40% approval rate for our president among black voters. This is again back with Trump. But if you listen to the secular media, you would think that it's closer to 4%. Yes, again, there is racism in America, and not just among whites. Uh, it's among all ethnicities. Only a changed heart can solve that. And keep in mind that this has been going on a long time in the making. Revisionists begin to rewrite America's history, and they begin to do it many years ago, portraying all white people as racist your skin color does not determine the condition of your heart it's it's pigmentation it this is a heart issue and see what they want to do is make it a race issue and then now we've got race wars and if you can pit people against people economic disaster living in fear now this tyranny can come in and rule and reign over the people and that's just that's just what it boils down to again facts 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 people we need to realize that uh <clears throat> that uh, we need to realize All Americans need to unite together and come against our common enemy. Again, it's a sin problem, not a skin problem. White people also feel the dynamic. I mean, I can no longer go to certain places in my community, such as parks and other places, for fear of being profiled, uh, because this media has created this false narrative. You won't find it in many of the modern history books, but the truth is that many of the founding fathers in America abhorred slavery and actually fought against it. Did you know that? You can go soon when you're done here listening to my book, One Nation Above God. One Nation Above God. Again, free download at the church website, westsidechristianfellowship.org. And then towards the end, I have an appendix that lists all the founding fathers who fought against slavery, who abhorred the practice of it. And see, what they do is, again, they give you wrong information meant to fuel anger and hatred. And it's, 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 Unfortunately, it seems to be working. Uh, destabilization is fueled also by the passive pulpit. Can I get an amen on that? Destabilization, the the destabilization of our nation is also fueled by the passive pulpit. I recently saw a survey on Facebook that asked, do you feel that most church leaders speak up about the real issues facing us today? The overwhelming response was a very loud and clear no. Christians are looking to pastors to lead the way, but many are exchanging truth for tolerance, boldness for balance, and conviction for cowardliness. They don't want to offend for fear they might lose their audience. Did you catch that? Instead of being bold pastors, fill the Spirit of God with brokenness and humility, shaping our conduct and our character and our sermons, but still having the boldness of the fire of the Spirit inside of us. Instead, we worry about what people are going to think, and we're going to lose quite a few people. My book sales will be down, or my audience base will leave. I need to walk this fine line and not really offend. Uh, actually, this week, I, I talked to a friend of mine who knows, uh, it's a mega church pastor, um, who is silent on the issue of homosexuality and uh, doesn't say anything uh, and actually makes remarks that would almost make you think he supports it. But behind the scenes, he says, no, I don't really support it. But then listening to what he puts out, you'd think, well, I'm confused. But see, the bottom line is cowardliness. Uh, he's in a, <laughs> I think, has a lot of both sides of the political arena. Of this church, a uh, large following, uh, book sells, and you know that's cowardliness. And I don't think God blesses that. And their sermons will lack the fire and the anointing of God. Sure, you, they might have some good tips for marriage, good tips for financial success, good good stories and analogies, but it doesn't go and convict and literally change the heart because the fire of God, the anointing of God, the anointing of the Spirit is missing upon that pastor and that leader. And so, um, what happens is, um, we need to pastors and Christian leaders must take responsibility for the spiritual health of our nation. And whether we accept that responsibility or not, God himself will hold us accountable. The pulpit inevitably sets the tone of the religious climate of our nation, at least for now in America. Did you know that? That the pulpit, I can take you to, well, I mean, we can go to 1620 in the 1600s, William Bradford. Uh, his His book on uh, of Plymouth plantation, and then you have the puritans uh and and their their influence in the late sixteen hundreds and into the seventeen hundreds and for sure, and then people of course, like Whitfield and Wesley and Jonathan Edwards coming on the scene, and a lot of the the sermons were read and, and and they were political and they were they 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 were shaping the spiritual condition of our nation I mean go back and look at how Spurgeon influenced the spiritual condition of London in the eighteen hundreds and so that that is The job of the pulpit, it's a thermostat and a thermometer. It can gauge and also set the tone, the spiritual climate of the nation. So when thousands upon thousands of pastors are silent, then our silence speaks volumes. And as you know, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men and women to do nothing. And in this case, for good men to say nothing. And that's really a really scary spot that we're in. And, And apart from a spiritual awakening, I don't have a lot of hope. These pastors need the fire of God back again, and that only comes from repentance, repenting. its They're really arrogant, uh, believe it or not. I mean, there's arrogance on the far right, rigid Bible-thumping side, but do you know there's a lot of arrogance on the other side as well? The silent, so-called liberal, politically correct pastor just smiles all the time, just loves everyone. They are very arrogant. they are, They are shaking their fist at God Almighty and not preaching the totality of God's word. They are arrogant. They fear man more than God. And that's what's happening. And that's why I often say the silent pulpit is not God's pulpit. The silent pulpit is not God's pulpit. A culture devoid of God simply reflects the lack of conviction in the pulpit as well as the pew. And then we also have the destabilization because kingdoms are colliding. So I want to just recap. You can see where we're going here. Uh, the, The introduction or this topic, I guess, if you're watching as a podcast, is the destabilization of America. You know, what's happening? Well, we're destabilized because of false information. We're destabilized because of the enemy within uh you know the, the the enemies within our gates uh the the, the social media the big imp- giants and corporate america you know there's a there's a lot of false information out there and then there we're destabilized by this whole intolerable movement you could call it political correctness you know the the wokeness is is um turned into like just, just don't offend don't offend anybody if that guy wants to be a girl let him be a girl if he thinks he can have a baby let them think he can have a baby. If those drag queens, I mean, think about it. We've got men dressed up as provocative women wearing provocative clothing, dancing in front of children. Folks, you need to wake up. You need to wake up and put your head back on straight, put on your big boy pants, get in the prayer closet, and begin to fast and seek God like never before and ask what he would have you to do. Not violence at all, not violence, but we can go and pray and we can fast and we can contend. You don't need to p- put another meme on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok. You need to get your face on the floor before Almighty God and see what He wants you to do. And then we have destabilization um, because of class warfare, which is going on, which the media is again fueling. And then our nation is destabilized uh, because of the passive pulpit. That's just the bottom line. Um, and then we have destabilization because kingdoms are colliding. Okay, okay, I guess I did write, uh, clo- uh, write some of this in, in during COVID. So okay, I wrote a couple books during COVID. I, now, now it dawned on me. Um, other ones you can read are, Oh God, Would You rend the Heavens? I think I wrote that during my sabbatical. Oh God, Would You rend the Heavens? Probably a year after COVID. And then also 40 Days to Reset Your Life. Um, and then, obviously, this book was written during COVID. So, I believe that the next hammer to fall—I'm writing this, agor- I'm dating it—to fall will be a spike in COVID nineteen. That is, if the rights don't accomplish their intended purposes. Now, remember, I wrote this at the beginning of COVID nineteen, so I'm, so this is actually what we did see play out. There's also a great deal going on behind the scenes with, uh, you know, generals in the military, other elected officials. Uh, they're divided against the current administration again. That was that was Trump. Um and what's happening is <clears throat> let me let me clarify. I just met with a pastor, no, not well, probably six months now, who said there's no deep state Shane. And I've read other people, okay. Well, there are conspiracy theories that are a little out there and um things that you know people get too carried away, but deep state is very real. All it is is you have holdovers, let's say from the Obama administration, uh, generals, uh, these people with the ideology that, I mean, look at who Biden appoint, uh, is appointing. I mean, I would, this is, you know, here we go. Uh, This is probably the one of the worst administrations I've ever seen, I've ever read about. When you can appoint these people to the highest positions of office in our government and they are mockers of God. They are sexual deviants, they are, their their, their lifestyles perverted. Now again, I love these individuals. I pray for them. That, that we're all perverted without the gospel of Christ. We're all you know sinners on that broad road of destruction without His saving mercy on our lives. But there is a difference and a distinction. Those who recognize their fallen nature and turn from it, and those who continue in it and want to lead others in. That's where the danger is. So the deep state is. <clears throat> let's say you have someone, a, a new president come in. They're still a dealing with the old people that were appointed that don't like this new president's agenda and there's globalist agenda and you can see, come on, fall. you many of you are following the world health organization and, and Schwab and, and even what Bill Gates is doing. I mean, they're, they're just out there. They're talk, they talk about the great reset. They talk. So they're in, inside government, FBI department of justice, Homeland security, um, what, I forget one, FBI maybe? But there, there's people held over and they don't like the current president and they're going to work against it. That's a deep state working against you. So that's what's going on too. Kingdoms are colliding. Um, so of course these groups get upset and there's a strategic plan to try to, uh, you know, sub- subpoenas are being served, impeachment. And again, this is when I was writing the book. Now we see, you know, whether the, with the election results, um, we see you know the the russia disinformation we see all kinds of things and then finally uh, with covid they were able to uh to uh, get a different president in there and so that's what's happening um there there's a clear there's a clear demonstration of Romans 1 going on. People are rejecting God and God is giving them over to a debased and corrupted mind. So you say, how in the world are these things happening, Shane? This is alarming. I can't believe this. Well, this is exactly what happens. And that's why I believe we are under a form of judgment of God. I really do believe that, uh, that God has said, okay, you want it, you got it. And what he does is he gives them up to a debased and corrupted mind. And that's really the Bible. That's also when it talks about uh, homosexuality and, uh, and and lust for things that are not God godly. Um, that's necrophilia, I'm sure, and pedophilia and bestiality and all these sexual perversions. Man without God is not going to stay stagnant or static. He's going to get more perverted, and more just, um, I don't even have strong enough words for that. And that's, we read in the Bible, Genesis, that, that man, every thought and intent was just wicked and evil. And that's what sin does. That's where you better listen up, you better wake up. Sin takes you farther than you want to go, uh, costs more than you want to pay, and keeps you longer than you want to stay. It'll, it, it drives you down into darker and darker and darker and darker areas. You don't, you don't just stay at the certain spot. You get more demonic. You get more perverted. You get, now some people might be able to hold their own for a while and, and kind of keep maintain a certain look, but, but that's the outcome of sin. And so what we're seeing in our culture is Romans 1. Um, I mean, how else can you justify, I'm not, I don't mean to snicker there, but it's, 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 um, how else can you justify murdering a child at nine months? How else can you justify drag queens dancing in front of children? And kids can put their their dollar. But I've seen videos that are horrendous. What they're doing with their private parts and how they're showing kids this or do? It, it's like, God, can I throw up now? Um, I, I cause I don't know what to do. I, I, I don't know what to do. I've got kids, young kids, like many of you. We, some of you have grandkids what in the world and that's why i'm releasing this 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 book or this podcast depending on where you're listening or reading it's because to get our nation and and i don't we don't need the majority you plus god is the majority again none of this is in the book by the way this is all commentary uh you plus god is the majority that's I, i i just need i just need some if my peoples to get on their face before god and God knows what that number is. I don't know what that number is exactly, but there's got to be a a desperation. There's got to be a yearning. There's got to be a humbling of ourselves. There's got to be a persevering and and continuing regardless of the, what we see. And as we dig deeper, God begins to fill us with the Spirit. And out of that comes a mighty move of His Spirit, hopefully here in California where I'm at. I'm in Los Angeles County in California. And hopefully that, that revival fire goes. Um, people say, what about if it doesn't? Well, it doesn't change anything I'm doing. I still, God's sovereignty is my sanity, and he calls me to be on fire for him. He calls me to contend for revival. He calls me to pray and fast, do business till he returns. And who knows? Was it Joel? You know, who knows? Call a sacred assembly. Call a fast. Who knows if God might not leave a blessing behind him? Ezra, I believe, as Ezra said, um, that's the problem with you doing all this exercise. He's got mental things, no time to look it up. But, you know, who knows if God will not give us a measure of revival in our bondage? Um, And the problem is there's no fear of God in this land. That's exactly what is happening. How sad that many churches won't even do voter registrations because it's too political, or they won't talk about hot button issues because they're too political. Did Did you know all of these things that are supposedly too political are very biblical? So by ignoring them, you are ignoring biblical principles outlined in God's word because of fear. You are fearing man and not fearing god, and uh God will not remain silent uh too long in this issue pastors and leaders don't confuse don't confuse his silence with his uh i'm sorry don't confuse his patience with his approval just because he's being patient I mean you look at what's happening with some of these last ever since I wrote this i mean how many hillsong churches are have closed and and ungodly churches have never opened up again because of COVID and and pastors, you know, being called out and and, and just not walking with the Lord and God's just man, God doesn't play games uh, at all. And so that's that's my concern is we've got to get our hearts right. And uh we're not being political when we talk about these issues. Sure some people are, but we're being biblical. Um and saying I'm just not political is really just an excuse to hide cowardliness. Okay. I'm going to say that again, uh, because I've talked to plenty, plenty, plenty of pastors. I've seen their comments. Uh, and many, t- now some of them have, you know, good reasons or I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I'm sure there is a few though, but right. But the majority of people, I'm just not political, brother. That means I don't want to confront the culture. I don't want to deal with the backlash. So I'm a coward. That's that's just the bottom line. Uh, My friend and fellow pastor Jim Garlow once said to me, bold pastors may look like they are on the wrong side of history, but they are on the right right side of eternity. Amen to that? Bold pastors may look like they are on the wrong side of history, but they are on the right side of eternity. And it just dawned on me, you might be hearing this too. I, I think we're on over 80 different radio stations now in the United States. So if you're hearing this in on radio or maybe halfway through, um, the context is, um, I'm going to start reading my book, If My People, read this in case of national emergency, or I could say, listen to this in case of national re- re- emergency. The book is If My People by Shane Eidelman. I'm reading it. Uh, <clears throat> now that's what you're listening to, but also I'm adding a lot of extra commentary that's not in the books. And uh, so I want to get back to that. Many are even, many are even marching with ungodly groups. This is, I I mean, I'm not going to, I mean, I don't know how many names I should mention, but it it was disappointing. And maybe these pastors just weren't, weren't aware. I'm assuming they weren't aware of what some of these ungodly groups stood for. And they started marching with them and kneeling with them. Um, and this is why the social gospel is so dangerous. It removes the redemptive work of Christ and it places it on good works, making it no gospel at all. So the social gospel, it's just about, it's just about feeding the poor. It's just about, you know, going and cleaning neighborhoods and impoverished areas. And that's really good. We need to do, be doing that more. I believe we've, we've missed that area. We need to be doing that more, but that's not the gospel. That's the outflow of the gospel. So a lot of these people hide behind works like, well, look at what we're doing. Look at who we're ministering to. Look, last week we had 150 people on our food line. Okay, that's great, but you didn't give them the gospel because you didn't want to offend them because you're getting free the free food from the government. Okay, that's not, that's, 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 I got to be careful here what I say, but that's uh, cowardliness and, and thank you for helping people. But the real gospel is we are sinners in need of a savior. And out of that, now I want to share the love of Christ with, with all those around me. Um, and there is no harm. I believe there is no harm in calling out national sins. We have biblical grounds for that. As we see in the life of Daniel and Nehemiah, I mean, I can think of uh, pretty much every king. If you think about it, every king had a prophet, Correct. Just about every—I mean, you can go back. Um, Saul was, and again, didn't research this um, memory here. Saul had um, Samuel, of course, and then David um, Sam, was anointed by Samuel. David also had Nathan, and then Solomon. You know, and, and who were the who are the prophets for uh, Manasseh and Josiah and Hezekiah? and uh Rehoboam and Jeroboam and uh, Asa and and, and and um you know so many of the kings had prophets coming speaking biblical counsel in, into political Situations, and so the the reason they don't want us doing that is again, it's an agenda. Don't have the pulpit because it goes against narrative, false narratives. It exposes the unfruitful works of darkness. It exposes people who are not really pastors, not really prophetic voices. It exposes what the media is, is doing. It exposes agendas, and so that's what this is about, and that's why they want to silence the pulpit. Um, you know why not? Um, why not unite black and white pastors in peaceful, biblically grounded, gospel centered, God honoring gatherings rather than aligning with groups who fuel anger and, uh, they take pride in their lack of, of forgiveness and their unity is not in their mission statement, folks. Okay. Patience is not approval. Patience is not approval still in this, in this, topic of the destabilization of America what's happening in America is called psychological warfare and it may be worse before it gets better did you catch that it may get worse before it gets better the goal of some is to elevate stress to the point of exhaustion okay let's let's camp out on that one for a minute here um the point of this what they call psychological warfare it's 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 to get our stress so elevated, you know, stay at home, wear this mask. And who knows, I'm recording this end of January. I think it's like January 30th, 2023. Um, you know, there, there's gonna, would there, is there going to be another pandemic? Is there going to be another, you know, here we come again, boom, boom, you know, uh, the economy, the housing, you know, some of this is, is self-created by sin, of, of course. But psychological warfare is mentally, I'm drained. And we saw that. That's why opiate crisis. That's why the alcoholism. That's why broken homes. I mean, everything just, I've had enough. I can't cope. And so when they get you to that, a person is willing, even pastors, even churches, even Christians, okay, all right, enough, enough. I surrender. I just want to live my life. I will capitulate. And so that's what's happening. Um, and then they 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 fuel fear so that people give up their rights um and, and they win to win the psychological battle you know the battle of the mind one must saturate their mind in the word of god in the ways of god so if you want to come out on the right side of this psychological battle saturate your mind in the word of god not fox and um cnn and drudge report and huffington post and Breitbart and epic times and just i mean it's good i, I would choose the, the right ones there but man if you're just saturating and saturating and saturating i mean like ki- kids four kids killed in idaho and this mom was murdered this the guy m- f- murdered his family and this is what's coming i'm like i can't handle this anymore so you got to be very careful i love paul's advice finally brethren finally brethren he's telling the church in Phil- philippi Finally, brethren, whatever things are pure, whatever things are honest, whatever things are noble, whatever things are upright, whatever things are, are worthy of virtue and praise and innocence, meditate, meditate on these things, and most of us are not doing very good in this area. I would say myself included i I could get better in this area. I don't need to always know what's going on everywhere in the world or in america um and, and actually as I'm recording this, I think we had uh four mass shootings in california in the last week and a half folks all all with oh no hour hour then up the coast so you know kind of around me and they're not going to decrease mass shootings are not going to decrease uh the gun issue none of that because we've rejected god we push god out sexual perversion has become the norm and when that happens things get worse and i want to be hopeful and you know I see people having debates, well, we need to do this with the guns, we need to screen well I mean of course you could you could screen people better um, and, and and there is something behind conceal and carry uh, with, with giving it to you know people who are qualified and who are mentally insane and then but look at the the uptick in medication, look at the uptick in alcohol and opiate abuse, look at the uptick in, in anger uh, in the workforce and and these people they're, they're, it's so much rage to go and shoot somebody. I mean I can't even fathom that. I can't even fathom that, but be that darkness of the human heart. That's why we need to let God back in our schools. God. And I believe once the Supreme court, uh, a ruled that, that, that football coach could now pray, I believe it, believe it or not. I believe that set the precedence. And a lot of people aren't aware that you can actually go and pray in schools now because of that. And, you know, and, and just being active in that area. Also, um, uh, a cow got in the way of my train of thought here. So let me focus here for a minute. Um, Oh yeah, with the mass shootings, we're not going to see them decrease unless we get God's word back into society again. And that might not happen. Again, not perfection. I'm not talking about perfection. I am talking about direction. Um, you know, God doesn't, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to really push this here. We need to look. To God and not what's going on around us. Churches need prayer meetings and worship nights, even if just a small group of people come. See, I've talked to pastor. I've talked to, well, you know, we can have a prayer night, but there, there's probably only going to be, you know, five, six, seven of us. Good, good. I'd rather have some of those powerful meetings. I've been in prayer meetings where three or four of us. And then I've been in ones with, you know, a hundred people and it's lacking. And I've been in big, they supposedly gatherings of a thousand people. We're going to call down heaven. No, I'd rather get to alone with 10 of those people on fire for God and, and really cry out. God's not looking for, for, for huge crowds. He's looking for broken hearts and broken hearts in. California, LA County, Broken Hearts, and Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee, if Nashville, we get some believers in Nashville, or Kansas City, or Florida, or Idaho, or Texas, and and these areas of revival, and and these revival fires begin to flow into other areas of of our community. And that's really the only hope for that. Um, America's heart needs to break so that deep repentance takes place. That's what needs to happen. So I keep wondering, what's it going to take, folks? what's it going to take right now and you know i'm, I'm going to date myself but um maybe when you're listening to this later and it'll probably be over by then but right now you know you've got all in the news uh it, it stephen crowder candace owen ben shapiro daily wire uh benny johnson uh, a lot of the conservative voices um uh tim cast and, and i don't see i don't see anything anything about humbling ourselves before almighty god I don't see anything about praying and fasting, coming together for nights of worship, putting this behind us because all these rants and, 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 and angry dialogues aren't going to get us anywhere. We're actually going to be digressing, not progressing. So folks we've got to get our faces on the ground before God and 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 and, and, and begin to just um, weep like the priests would weep between the porch and the altar there was a there, as they were interceding for the people, they were separating the people, the porch and the altar was a place of of weeping where the, and Joel said, "Have my priests come and cry out to God as they intercede for the people uh, We just need the, our le- the leaders of our nation to humble themselves, and not everyone but the majority of us. We need to just really." really get together, uh, maybe individually, whatever, and seek the heart of God like never before? Because do we really think that we can flood our homes with porn and murder and million, uh, millions of children are being murdered in our nation, uh, that we can... Um, you know, uh, worship the gods of alcohol, lust, and addiction. We can mock God's word and we can declare war on the family. We can, uh, fuel racism. We can promote self-centered politicians and idolize celebrity pastors and, and even look to politicians as our savior. And we can tiptoe around sin and we can, and then we can expect to have a wonderful life for our nation. Folks wake up Wake up. The writing is on the wall. We must humble ourselves before God. No, we cannot do these things. Um, l- let me just go off the scripture of the book manuscript. God says, I dwell in a high and holy place with him who has a broken and contrite heart. I will revive the humble. I will revive the broken. What are the sacrifices, God says, that are to me? I don't, I don't desire all the, these burnt offerings. I desire a broken and contrite heart. That's a sweet smelling aroma, and that—that's what gets the ear of God. My my hand is not short, and my ear is not heavy. Uh, my hands not short, I can't save. My ears not heavy, that I cannot hear. But your sins have separated you from me, and I cannot hear you. So see, we've got to get back to a place of a brokenness. As Isaiah 30 said verse 1, woe to the rebellious children woe be to the rebellious children declares the Lord who formulate a plan but it's not my plan and they make alliances but it's not of my spirit in order to add sin to sin that's a New American Standard I believe that the New King James is woe be to the woe be to the rebellious children who make plans but not of me and who devise plans but not of my spirit and so the, we're looking to everything but God for the answers. Folks, if you want to hear from God, get on, get your face on the floor. Get up early. Put on worship. Bury your face in God's word. Repent, repent, repent. Get rid of that hardness of the heart, the callousness. Oh, God created me a clean heart. Break my hardness. Break my arrogance. Oh, God, I want to serve you like never before. And as in the prophet Joel's uh, day, the same thing goes out today. The same cry goes out to today joy has withered away from the sons of men instead of complaining we need to obey god who says consecrate a fast call a sacred assembly gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the lord your god and cry out to the lord in a sense god is saying how bad do you want deliverance how bad do you want me to intervene church it might stay dark there might be sin and chaos from here on out i'm it looks like it's going to be that way. But in the midst of that, God brings revival fires. God saves a mass, massive amount of people. He brings voices to stadium revivals and tent revivals and, and churches on fire for God. And God is working in the midst of that darkness. And it begs the question, though, how bad do we want it? How bad do we want to, to see God move? Will we turn to God with all of our heart? Will you starve the flesh to be filled with the spirit via prayer and fasting? Will you humble yourself? today and repent. Don't wait. Don't make excuses. Will you humble yourself and repent today and say, God, I've been apathetic. I've been lukewarm. I, I don't have the fire of the spirit in my heart. God, I need that. I'm going to stop being angry and go on angry tirades. And 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 Lord, get this anger out of my heart. Get this unforgiveness out of my heart. And uh, Lord, I just want to seek you uh, like never before. Because we, if we do this, we are reminded, we are reminded that God is merciful and slow to anger. Did you catch that? God is merciful and slow to anger. But again, we must stop confusing his patience with his approval. Chapter one of the book, If My People, and obviously it's coming from 2 Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, I will heal their land. I want to begin with a quote from Nancy uh Lee DeMoss Wagamuth now. She's been married. Revival is not just an emotional touch, it's a complete takeover. Praise God, I couldn't agree more. So, chapter one, humility, 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 the first step toward revival. And I recently had the privilege of speaking to our church um, about this topic of revival with you know Second Chronicles 7.14 as the backdrop. And the sacred text says, if my people so not Hollywood or Washington or the media or non-believers, but if my people will turn to me, uh, God will hear from heaven. Now, again, I clarified this before, but it, it it's good to repeat. Uh, the context of that scripture is for Israel. And the word was to Solomon. When I bring pre- pestilence, when I bring famine, when I bring drought, if my people humble themselves, but In my opinion, that principle still applies. If God's people do these things, he will answer. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to have a utopia in America. We will be exposing evil and fighting against wickedness from here on out. Uh, But it does mean that we're going to start to see light in a lot of areas of darkness and and pray that God would give us a measure of revival, even in our bondage right now. And so surprised that we are witnessing the rapid deterioration of a nation right before our eyes. As a result, many are struggling with fear and anxiety and uncertainty, yet God offers hope, tremendous hope. I can already hear the cries though, uh, or the critics. Um, Shane, yes, you know, there is hope and yes, um, that was applied to Israel, but, uh, I, I don't know if we can use that same verse, uh, today and, and, you know, they get caught up on, um, revelation, you know, is coming and and the wrath is coming and these things are are going to take us over. And how is there hope in that? You know, but again, for those of us who are trusting in God, there's always hope, uh, no matter how dark, how dark the times get. And so um, I think we should focus on hope, focus on God, focus on uh, what he's able to do, persevering, pressing in, spending time with him. And, um, Let's see what God does. And so let's take a, a look at this first important principle found in 2 Chronicles 7.14. Humility. Humility. Uh, during the COVID-19 crisis, I think many of you will remember, you know, the safer at home order went out. And um, during that time, God powerfully uh and profoundly poured out His Spirit into my heart. Uh, it was even though I was preaching to a camera. Uh, we 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 closed just like many people there for a short time, and then obviously we re, we reopened. But um, during that time, um, during that season of of God humbling our nation, you know, it, it it just is so important that we embrace humility. And we saw the civil unrest, the protests, and we had to re- realize that our only hope is in God. And uh, one of those, during one of those sermons, I looked at the key statement found in Isaiah 58, and God told his people that he was done with phony sacrifice and hard-hearted obedience. He said that things had to change if they wanted to make their voice heard on high. And I've talked about this before, you know, even on the right side of the political aisle, or even on the conservative side of the movement, there's so much pride. There's positioning, there's posturing, there are uh, 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 ploys for power, but where's the humility? And the boldness to seek God like never before and to be broken before him. And just like Israel back then, things need to change in America if we want God to truly hear our prayers. While we have been too full of pride, complacency, and apathy to experience revival. And let me say that again. While we have been too full of pride, complacency, and apathy to experience revival. The current national crisis that we find ourselves in can actually be the catalyst to revival. If it, if it humbles us, that's the key. If it humbles us and we become better, not bitter, we become hum, we become humble, not haughty. That's when we'll definitely see a big difference. And revival is not about scheduling a series of meetings, although that could be good and it's not about weird and being loud and and you know thumping the bible and and talking the christianese revival can't be worked up it has to be brought down from heaven and god honors humility and revival brings back you know just a, just a holy awe for the presence and power of god Revival is when God's power meets God's people. Let me say that again. Revival is when God's power meets God's people. When we experience the fire of God and are forever changed, that is revival. So that's personal revival. It's a spiritual awakening. And then that fire, on fire for God that goes out and it catches fire in the lives and hearts of others. And that's why the enemy wants to extinguish it so much. He wants to get a, a, a Christian, um, he wants to give a Christian his a certificate of non-operation, just like the DMV wants us to sit at home and grumble and complain. Eat too much, drink too much, just become critical, not say a powerful move of God, go to church when it fits, kind of read our Bible, but everything is boring. We are dead to the things of God. You need spiritual resuscitation, hence the need for this book, If My People. And um, God's fire in this sense— it it burns, but it does not consume. It refines, but it does not destroy for the life of the believer. God's fire in the life of the believer is very good. Uh, fire in regard to judgment and unbelief is not good. But fire for the believer is good because it says God is a consuming fire. The Holy Spirit brings fire. John the Baptist preached fire. The prophets preached fire. Jesus said that he who believes in him would receive Fire. Actually, John the Baptist said, if you believe on him, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. So revival fire is the urgent need today. In the first step, the very first step, you have to humble yourself and say, I need that. God, I need that. Blessed are the beggars. Blessed are the beggars for God will fill them with his spirit. Next section here, dead in the church of the living God. Are you dead in the church of the living God? Although revival can't be generated in and of itself. And that's where people, uh, a rabbit trail here. Remember this uh, audio book is going to take lots of rabbit trails. But, you know, you have like Finney caught a lot of heat because he his lectures on revival. Um, basically, and I don't agree with everything you wrote for sure. But, you know, revival is possible, you know, whenever. Um, and the reason he said that is because, If you, if like a farmer, if you till the soil and plant the seed, God will honor that and bring revival. And there's a lot of truth to that. But on the flip side, God's sovereignty also plays a role. God is sovereign. And maybe the timing is not right. So I can't fully embrace that. I just know we're supposed to press in. I know D. Martin Lloyd-Jones prayed for revival in his time. And I'm talking about a massive, you know, Welsh type revival, First Great Awakening type of revival, New Hebrews type of revival, a type of revival under men like Daniel Rollins, uh, Griffin Jones, Hal Harris, uh, and Wells in the 1700s. You know, those types of powerful moves of God. And we see a lot of those in China. And um, it's it's just amazing. And uh, Tozer prayed to see those things. Leonard Ravenhill prayed to see those things. Adrian Rogers. And so you know, we 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 have measures of revival, but the, the, uh, a genuine outpouring of God's Spirit, we really haven't seen in America in quite a while. I'd say, you know, at least um, you know, there's been. I mean, there's been there's exceptions like uh, that college. I can't think of the college As, Asbury College experience. You know, a, a season of revival in uh, Jeremiah Lampert in New York. You know, the prayer meetings, but that I believe was like the 1800s. So. You know, a good hundred years or so, we haven't seen a powerful move of God. And Leonard Ravenhill, in his compelling book, Revival Praying, said this, since something is obviously stopping the Spirit's inflow. I love this, guys. Stop what you're doing. Listen to this. Push pause if you have to wait. But listen to this. This is is a turning point sentence in the lives of many of you. Since something is obviously stopping the Spirit's inflow to us Christians, The same thing is stopping his outflow from us. With the Spirit's help, we need to search for the hindrance. Something, if you're dead to the things of God, if you're not on fire anymore, have you, when is the last time you talked to somebody about Jesus? That's a really good sign. You know, spiritual health. Not going door to door because you have to, but I mean, on fire for God and and the things of God. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you got before Him and just worshiped Him for an hour or two and praying and, and seeking the heart of God and fasting and, 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 you know, if these, if you're dead to these things, um, and something is stopping, uh, the Spirit's inflow, then you need to search your heart and remove that hindrance. And often the hindrance is pride and spiritual apathy. And I believe that's why Second Chronicles opens with humility. It truly is the first step. The greatest need in the lives of Christians today is to remove pride so that the power of the Holy Spirit can flow through us. Always remember that you, always remember this, that you are as revived as you want to be. Wow. Did you catch that? You are revived. You are as revived as you want to be. But be warned, those on fire for God often convict those who are not. And so we think, man, I've got the fire of God. I'm, I'm, I'm going to call a prayer meeting and, and teach on fasting and teach on being desperate for God and removing the hindrances and not loving the world. And man, everybody's going to like my message. No, not true at all. I, I have found just the opposite. Now, it's one of the things I think that alarmed me most about planning a church is not everyone shares my passion for God. You know, I, I run into people all the time. Oh, Shane, I love Westside Christian Fellowship. Uh, my husband doesn't want to come though. You know, he thinks you're too, too strong, too, um, too bold, too like, like too extreme. Like, well, we have extreme makeovers, extreme love for sports, extreme snowboarding, extreme mountain bikes, extreme whatever. Shouldn't we have extreme passion for God? Of course we should. Or you meet husbands. You know, they, oh, my wife doesn't come. You know, she, you're, just, you're just too much for her right now. You know, she's, she's loving the things of the world right now. And so, wow, I was like, okay, I guess most Christians don't like, um, they, if you're not on fire for God, you're not going to like those who are on fire for God because they convict you. And then pride comes in like, oh, they think they're special. They think they're a holy roller. They think they're Superman Christian or whatever. And, and they become bitter at that. But it doesn't matter. Don't let that deter you. At some point, hopefully God will draw them. Um, a mighty move of God's spirit always, always, always creates friction in the church. Carnal Christians and modern day Pharisees will disdain you because they lack intimacy with God. Their statements go something like this. Let's not get too carried away, brother. Or you're too emotional. Why are you worshiping all the time and and calling people to the altar? That's too emotional. What's all this talk about revival? You know, God doesn't do that anymore. Convicted, convicted, convicted. That's what's happening to them. They don't have that deep relationship with the Lord. So they're very convicted. Trust me, friends. God is not pleased with carnality or churches that resemble a cemetery. Cemeteries may be calm and orderly, but there is no life in them. How can we be dead spiritually in the church of the living God? Now, granted, the cemetery is not a good environment and neither is a circus. You know, if it's odd, it's God, everything goes. No, that's not good either. We've got to have balance and discernment and truth and and a a solid concrete foundation of biblical truth. Now, granted, even though revival by its very nature produces emotional excitement, we must be careful. Uh, Ian Murray warns us to be open but cautious when it comes to emotions. Uh, the course of a revival, the course of a revival, I'm going to quote him here, together with, it, with its purity and abiding fruit, is directly related to the manner in which such excitement is handled by its leaders. Once the idea gains acceptance, that the degree of the Spirit's work is to be measured by the strength of emotion or that physical effects of any kind are proof of God's action, then what is rightly called fanaticism is bound to follow. And see, his point is, is so spot on. This is why it's so important for leaders of churches. So once you, as leaders, that you're, you're called to steward the environment of revival, once you sit back and say, you know what, man, um uh, I, I, I don't want to say anything. You know, if it's odd, it's God and let, let, let whatever happen. You know, and of course, you don't want to quench and grieve the spirit. And, you know, but I think if you're open to revival, you're going to be open to what God is doing, but discerning, Lord, is that you or is that my, am I just afraid? I don't want to be misrepresented it, re- misrepresented by what's going on here. Um, Lord, help me discern. So if you just allow whatever, Whatever is going to take place. If you just allow chaos and confusion, that's what's going to take place. And I think that's what, you know, you'll find in some of, um, you know, and again, I I didn't read a lot of these. I don't follow them. But like the Toronto blessing, you know, you see a lot of just, um, I think, I think, was it Toronto? No, don't quote me on this. But I think John Wimber went up there and had a falling out with uh, them because he called them to more uh, discernment. And same thing. What I saw, uh, probably I don't know when this was. I'd have to Google it. The Lakeland revival in Florida. A uh, v- lot of very concerning things that I saw. And it was because of this point. Hey, whatever goes on goes on. And then we we see those in leadership in that revival. It came out later. It's just terrible. And that and so. But could God genuinely be moving? Um, and so I'm not going to talk about it here. But find my podcast. Uh, I believe the title is, When False Prophets Say, Lord, Lord. And I broke down Matthew 7, specifically verses 21, 22 in there. And why sometimes you'll see moves of God even in the midst of heretical or bad teaching. How does that even happen? Uh, So find that probably on Rumble by the time you're listening to this. Um, But suffice it to say, God may honor the desperate heart of someone seeking truth, even in the midst of a false, a false prophetic voice who is claiming God's truth, but really not living it. Uh, they practice lawlessness. They're not even saved. And that's how somebody could benefit still from that ministry. But again, I broke it down in that podcast. I would encourage you to really look at that now. But back to this point, if you just allow emotions to dictate the service, it's going to get more chaotic. However, and we I've had experiences before, you don't want to be the emotional police and like every whimper uh, at the altar, every outburst, you know, no, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. I mean, somebody who speaks in tongues, it's out of order. Do you reprimand them right there and be forceful? And, or do you, do you come up, you know, a little bit later and correct maybe what happened, understanding that person has a gracious, loving heart, but it was maybe out of order because there's no interpretation or it didn't flow well. And that's why we kind of, uh, not kind of, but we don't encourage that in large corporate settings because we 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 can't gauge that we sometimes don't know the person is there interpretation there uh and and you have to be very careful in this area and it's a hard balance to find i'll tell you that i've not mastered this this balance of finding uh between emotion and truth and and things like that so he he's he closes here for those who embrace such beliefs will suppose that that any check on the emotion or on physical phenomenon is tantamount to opposing the Holy Spirit. And this is so true, when you call people out, they say, oh brother, you're just quenching the Holy Spirit, no, I'm calling you out because I think you're quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit. And this, so that's how a lot of these guys get out of it. Oh man, you're just, now, but there are some cases where you are quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit. For example, when we have, uh, it's called rend the heavens. We have you know, services can sometimes go for three hours. People at the altar, you know, dozens of people at the altar and, and, uh, you know, people are emotional sometimes. And, um, I would say somebody's trying to stop that is quenching and grieving the spirit. So, you know, it's, again, it it depends on discernment. It depends on the character of the, of the, those leading uh, the the service. And there's just so much at play here. Uh, But also some will be jealous some will be jealous when they see you experiencing God and they are not. And I believe this is the backbone of the cessationist movement. And you see a lot of these heresy hunters out there uh, putting down those who believe in the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I think at the, at the core of this, not only do they see weirdness and they like, I, I can't embrace that weirdness. Well, let me know. Let me, let me tell you up front, I can't either. As I'm just looking at the biblical text, the biblical text is pretty clear. The first Corinthians 12, 13, 14, all apply today. And so, but what does happen? They are jealous. This person, let's say, is is has this incredible prayer life. Maybe they've been given the gift of tongues and and they seek God like never before. They're on fire for God. How can they spend a couple of hours at the altar weeping? Man, I can't relate to that. I'm jealous. So I'm going to put it down. And, you know, that is, I'm just telling you, I know the heart of a lot of these people, uh, critical hearts, critical spirits, prideful hearts. Um, that's, that's really what's behind a lot of this is they, they, they try, but they don't feel these things. You know, again, the word feel, uh, and you know, I think we should feel God in, in, in many aspects. We don't gauge truth by feeling, but we should, you know, there's when you love God, you, you're going to feel it from time to time. Uh, not all the time though, of course, um, So they often fall under the hard hearted church mentioned in these people that, you know, want to quench and grieve the spirit and uh, deny that God is moving powerfully. They have to be careful because they could fall under the heading of Revelation uh, chapter two, verses one through seven, hard hearts, uh, where Jesus pointed out the hard hearts. They can easily point out false doctrine. uh, They can work hard in ministry and they obey God in, you know, certain areas, But God still calls them to repent for what lies beneath the service. But I have this against you. You have left your first love. So see, you can do these things with a rigid, angry, arrogant heart. Look at me. I'm a worker. Okay, but you're not a worshiper. You need to get back to that that brokenness for Christ, that contrite spirit, loving Lord. I love you. I'm I'm sorry. I repent. Let let me be a gracious, loving person. I will still contend for truth, very boldly, but I'll also uh, be be filled with your, your spirit, Lord. I need that love to return. Oh, and you repent, Lord, I'm sorry. I've grown hard and critical. I've done this a few times in the last 22 years. God, please fill me again with your spirit. I want to return to your love and your grace and your mercy. And the the, the Holy Spirit just comes in and floods your heart with just this brokenness. It's incredible. And if this church did not repent, God was going to judge them. It's just amazing. So be careful. And I often talk about when I was a modern day you know, Pharisee with the stony heart. I didn't care about love. I I, I cared about being right. I, I love to argue. A lot of these people like to argue because they like to prove that they'll, they're right. They like to shut people down. It's arrogant, 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 arrogant. Uh, I would say that I was standing for the truth, but it was really to cover my spiritual pride. You know, yes, the truth will offend others, but our attitude should not offend them. Phariseeutical Christians have the truth but they lack the fruit of the spirit. So these hard-hearted believers, and 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 we can all fall into this trap, many of us. Some can fall the other way, where they become very um know, lukewarm or apathetic or, you know, just love everybody, man. Let's just love them. I'm not gonna judge them. I'm not gonna call anything out. I'm not gonna speak about truth, man. Just love. No, you're drifting in the other direction. <clears throat> where, where what I'm talking about now is those who are. Not filled with joy and gentleness and love they're filled with arrogance and spiritual pride is deadly and once I experienced a mighty move of god's spirit in my heart, personal revival again through humbling myself, I felt like the blind man who was who was grilled by the arrogant religious leaders today their grilling would go something like this: what exactly did Jesus do to you? We want a theological And, you know, exposition of what happened in a biblically accurate, conservative, hermeneutic approach to the technique he used. And all those things are good in the right context if the heart is right. And see, that's the key. Like the blind man, I don't know exactly how God does it, but one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I've tasted and I've seen the goodness of God. I didn't want God's presence. I didn't want God's presence when I was in my younger years. But today I'm a lover of his presence, thank God for it. I didn't like deep worship, but now it's the heartbeat of my soul. And I plead with you as well, don't be dead in the church of the living God. But let's take the first step here. As I stated earlier, you are revived. You are as revived as you want to be. If this upsets you, simply repent of your calloused heart and do not hide behind the excuse But I have the truth. But I have the truth. Yeah, you know what? So did the Pharisees. (laughs) And look how that turned out. You have to have the truth with love and brokenness and gentleness and humility. Revival doesn't minimize the truth. Actually, it elevates the truth. The truth of God's word, the truth of sound doctrine, the truth of humility and brokenness of contrite heart. God says, I will not throw away. I will not despise a broken, contrite heart. I will revive the heart of the humble. I will revive and repair those who are broken. And as I read the journals of George Whitfield and I, I read the eyewitness accounts of the Welsh revivals and the First Great Awakening, uh, I found that the words of Jonathan Edwards were so, so true, and they're true today as well. He observed that a work, a genuine work of the Holy Spirit, would be evident because it would, number one, elevate the truth. Number two, it would exalt Christ. Number three, it would oppose Satan. Number four, it would point people to the scripture. And number five, 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 it would result in love for God and others. So the focus was on preaching the totality of God's word, calling out sin and correcting error. Holiness, not hysteria, is evident in a genuine revival. The result is genuine fruit, not, not, not ungodly fanaticism. So do you lack this fire of God? Do you? what do you do when you're physically cold well you run to the fire to the warmth in the same way if you lack the fire of God you must run to to him in brokenness and humility you must be desperate for another move of his spirit and a deep desire to counter encounter his presence you might say Lord I don't want what these these weird people look like on YouTube. I don't want what these weird videos, you know, uh, demonstrate and revive. I, I I, just want you. I want your holy presence. I want to encounter you. And that you can trust, my friends, because God will never let you down. Repentance is always the first step toward revival. Revival is a downpour and repentance opens the floodgates. And I said, as I said this earlier, revival is like farming. The farmer can't make the seed grow but he can create an environment for growth. We must be careful with absolute statements like fasting will always lead to revival because you know it will not if our hearts are not right. Um, if I do this, it will always lead to revival. Not necessarily God could be teaching us. Um, there could be a delay according to God's sovereignty. And we can't always just use 2 Chronicles 7.14 as a magic recipe. We just have to we just have to carefully follow God. And see what he wants to produce. However, any group of people who humbles himself via fasting and prayer and, and they fervently seek God and they turn from their sin. I mean, you will get God's attention. Uh, if second Chronicles is not sufficient to encourage you in this, in this area, consider God's promise in Jeremiah when he says, and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. When you search for me, with all of your heart. And that's why fasting was so important in the early church, even in the Bible, uh, even during seasons of revival, because fasting is, it's it's another aspect of genuinely seeking God. I'm saying, you know what? King's stomach wants to be fed. King's stomach wants this. King's stomach wants this, but I'll still pray. I'll still contend. I'll still read the word of God, which is good. You know, fasting doesn't bend God's arm. Fasting doesn't make God love me more, but I sure love him more. And, but it's saying, Lord, I'm giving up this appetite for a greater appetite, all of my heart, all of my strength, all of my soul. And so fasting and prayer combined with repentance, it, it's just powerful. Um, the process of revival and hope must begin with humility. Andrew Murray said this, pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Let me say that again. Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. The amount of pride in the church is astonishing. We've created an American idol mentality with many wanting center stage attention. So if you're listening to this and you're involved in leadership, are you wanting the center stage attention? If I could just be the main worship leader, if I could just be on that stage, if I could just have my blog number one, if I could just do this, be very, very careful. Let God promote you as you humble yourself. That really is the key. And we often look more like Hollywood than the character of Christ. James four six says this, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Memorize that verse, Please. God resists the proud. Yes, even the proud Christian. He's not on your side in your endeavors in certain areas. He's on your side as far as he's your God, but he will resist your endeavors, but he will give you grace if you humble yourself. If you are being, if you are being humble today, don't fight it. If this article here that you're reading or listening to, or this book that you're listening to, or this podcast you're watching, if it's hard, kind of hard to hear don't run from it. Embrace God's humbling uh, humbling mechanism. Uh, God disciplines those he loves. We know that. And if we are to see a genuine move of God's spirit, by the way, which is our only hope for our nation, then we must humble ourselves and confess our pride. Our blessings have become a curse. Our abundance has taken us away from God. Pride is so powerful that many people reading this will get upset or many people listening to me right now. On this audio, will get upset rather than humble themselves and seek God afresh. The choice is yours, really. I have not mastered this area, though. Be encouraged. I'm a prideful person working on humility for the rest of my life. But we must recognize our own pride, repent of it, and return to God with a broken and teachable attitude. That really is our own hope for this area of pride is uh, deep repentance and let God Have his way in your heart and in your life. Chapter 2 of the reading of If My People, the sin of prayerlessness. The sin of prayerlessness. What an incredible uh, topic we've got before us. And I want to start with a quote from Leonard Ravenhill. He said this, Revival is when God gets so sick and tired of being misrepresented misrepresented, that he shows up himself. Wow, let's absorb that for a minute. Revival is when God gets so sick and tired of being misrepresented that he shows up himself. And on this topic of revival, that's why it's very interesting because um, there's so many different things. Revival. Can be weird to some people. Uh, you can have some camp meetings, or uh, back then, you know, eighteen hundreds or so, even early nineteen hundreds, or even now, you know, a series of revival meetings, which aren't bad in and of themselves, but they're more, you know, meetings get together. Revival is when God encompasses the, the 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 his people in a very profound and powerful way, where literally the presence and power of God. Uh, is, is very evident. And I liken it to, uh, a place, uh, like this. Let's say lots of electricity all around, right? Just like God is everywhere. You know, we have the electricity, uh, that is everywhere, but try putting a knife into the electrical socket. You go from knowing that there is electricity everywhere to actually experiencing the electricity for yourself. So that's what I mean by, and I, I, and, and, and I avoid hypercharismatic, uh, Teaching and, um, but I believe the Bible teaches that the fire of God for a believer is very good, His manifest presence is with us in seasons of revival. And so chapter two talks about the sin of prayerlessness. Again, I'll be I'm reading here the from the audio book, If my people. At the same time, I'm also doing video casting. Uh, so if you're listening to this book on audio, you can go to my social media channels and watch the video of it actually. And I'm going to add a lot of commentary and then conversely if you're watching the video of me reading this book, you can also download the audio as well. But let me just begin here with chapter two. Um, I must have looked like a deer caught in the headlights when I heard the words, why are we having another prayer and worship night? A few years ago, we offered a night of prayer and worship, and we did that each month. But apparently, that was a little bit too much for some individuals, and they made sure to let me know. And I enjoy preaching and listening to sermons, but Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of Prayer, and here's what happens: those who are not people of prayer, uh, and and you can have this on both sides. You can have the the lukewarm side, or the truth. You know, it's all about the truth. I just want it preaching. I just want to hear God's word. And both sides can be, can struggle with the sin of prayerlessness because prayer will bring us back to that center of where we need to be. I, I even remember one night the services flowed into each other and a man got upset and he, he told the, you know, ushers, I came here to hear a sermon, but the power of God was so evident in the services. It was just amazing. I just said, we're just going to continue worshiping. And he didn't like that and that's a hard issue. Um and that that can happen on the legalistic rigid hard-hearted side, the critical heart, the negative nellies, the judgmental jerries, and it can also happen on the the lukewarm side. So we have to, you know, be be careful of that and repent of that if that has if that has set in. And the you know, the, the of course the key verse that we've been using 2nd Chronicles 7:14, if my people pray, if my people pray, prayer is the life source to our faith. It's actually the building block of our soul. And um, God's not too busy. He's not on vacation. He's not sleeping. He's an ever-present help in time of need. You can call on him at 2 in the morning or in the midst of the storm. He hears the prayers of his children. But five-minute devotionals aren't going to cut it in these dire times. Now, I'm all for five-minute devotionals. Encourage your kids to do them. Great thing to add to your schedule. Highly recommend it. But if that's all we are doing, it's like a person consuming 500 calories a day for the rest of their life. Probably not going to work. And so you have, we have to really make p- prayer a passionate plea of our daily lives and in the morning and in the evening. And, and, uh, to call, cu- we must cultivate a life of prayer. And that life of prayer is fueled by brokenness and humility so that we become men and women clothed with power from on high. And that comes from Broken, humble people petitioning God during seasons of prayer. So you can see how uh, the, the sin of prayerlessness will affect everything. It'll affect your parenting. It'll affect uh, a, a sense of revival in your own home and in your own heart. And we've got to make it a point. You've got to fight the flesh and get back into that position of prayer. And that's why I've dedicated uh, for 23 years now my mornings uh, to prayer, to seeking the heart of God. Obviously, that fluctuates depending on what I'm doing. But, um, you know, the sin of prayerlessness is running rampant in many churches. The dry, dead, dry, dead, lethargic, I was going to say legalistic, but that's true too. Legalistic, lethargic condition of the church clearly, clearly reflects an impotent prayer life. That's, you know, you can directly correlate prayer and brokenness and humility with a a powerful church, a powerful church service, a a group of solid believers. And when we get away from that, uh, that element of prayer in our life, that's when we become stagnant and, and dead and cold and formal, uh, when it comes to spiritual matters matters. So prayerlessness in the pew leads to shattered lives and depression. Prayerlessness in men leads to the breakdown of the family. Prayerlessness in Washington leads to the breakdown of society. And as Ian Bounds stated, when faith ceases to pray, it ceases to live. I'm going to say that again. This is so important. When your faith ceases to pray, you will cease to live, spiritually speaking. You'll, a spiritual apathy will set in. And I want to recommend here uh, a book by uh, E.M. Bounds. Uh, actually, I would encourage you to—it's called The Best of E.M. Bounds. And it really, you know, get your prayer life going in the right direction. Of course, looking to the Word of God is primary. The next section, When the Church Had Power. Is America's Future Hopeless? the Bible is clear that God judges wickedness and reprimands his people when they are falling short or they're drifting away from him. And many of the Old Testament prophets experience hardship and exile as a result of God reprimanding his people. In short, he disciplines us because he loves us and it, and it, and it should spark repentance. And then he judges the wickedness because they don't repent of their sins. So repentance is so key in this area. Many are divided because although we realize America is right for judgment uh, for the atrocities, and you know that ranges everything. The range is huge. You know, aborting babies to redefining truth, and look at the sexual perversion that is running rampant, and men dressing as provocative women, and and so it's it just it is. It's alarming, and that's where the word perversion comes from. It's perverting of God's truth. And oh, the stench, how it has reached the nostrils of God. And um, and we see that a lot of Christians are not seeking God with all their heart. And many examples can be found in the Old Testament of God staying his hand of judgment when righteous people contend and plead for revival and mercy. And that really is my hope for America. That's the whole point of putting out this audio book and the print book, of course, and, and the ebook is to fuel the, f- the, 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 the flames of revival through prayer and brokenness and humility. And God doesn't want us to sit back, relax and wait for Jesus' return, as some think he does. We must expose the unfruitful works of darkness and fight demonic opposition. But to do that, we need spiritual power. Duncan Campbell in his book, The Price and Power of Revival makes a very compelling point. He said, how is that while we make great Satan we make such great claims for the power of the gospel. We see so little of the supernatural in operation. Man, that is profound. We make such great claims for the power of the gospel, and rightly so. But why do we see such uh, such minimal results or very little of the supernatural in operation? Is there any reason why the church today cannot everywhere equal the church at Pentecost? No, there's no reason why we are as revived as we want to be. Okay, let me say that again. We are as revived as you want to be. Your relationship with God is as deep as you want it to be. You're seeking God to the degree you want to seek him. And so this is profoundly important. And Duncan Campbell uh, experienced the New Hebrides revivals uh, that were so critical and key um, in reviving that area of New Hebrides. And we believe in the fullness and the power of the Spirit. We do. And so do many of you, I know. But we truly don't experience it to the degree I think we can. Most of the churches need to be revived beginning with prayer. And that's, again, I think it's about six years ago now in December, we started a morning prayer and worship service. So the doors open at 6 a.m. The churches, many people come uh, just for that worship service. We have worship on. And then we go into a time of prayer and then obviously start our services. And and that has to become the focal point of, of the church. The prayer service really, um, you know, a lot of churches don't have it. And I know it's hard. I mean, getting people to pray is like pulling teeth. The reason is it's so important and, and the flesh fights it probably more than anything else. Uh, fights against living holy, against fasting, against prayer, against seeking God. It's, it's The flesh does not want to do that. It's the enmity within us that is driving us away from the prayer closet. That's why we have to be uh, disciplined. We have to persevere, fortitude, strength, all these biblical terms to press into the prayer closet. And Jesus said, go into that closet and God will reward you. Um But Corporate and national revival that we are talking about begins as individual men and women and young adults humbly and through brokenness seek the heart of God. And they do that through prayer and fasting. And uh, here's just one example of a powerful move of God, again, from Duncan Campbell. He said this, I think again of those people in the Hebrids, how they longed and how they prayed and how they waited and how they cried. Oh God, rend the heavens and come down, and all the time God was working behind the scenes. All the time God was dealing with them and in the process of cleansing, uh, God went on to to really work deep in their hearts until that moment came when angels and archangels looking over the battlements of glory cried, "God, the vessels are clean!" The miracle can happen now. Oh, just think of that. The, the angels looking down and the vessels are clean. The bride is ready. The people are hungry. They're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I believe that with all my heart, it is the deep conviction of my soul that they are ever gazing over the battlements of glory and waiting for a prepared people. And a lot of times people get out of this, you know, whole concept of revival by saying, you know you can't really work it up it's it's God's sovereignty, which is true you know i'm I'm not really a fan of everything Charles Finney said in lectures on revival, thinking you know you can have revival whenever you want it as long as you do the right things you know there's there's sovereignty comes into play there for sure. However, there's a lot of truth in that that if you till the soil, uh God'll bring the rain, and that's often throughout the Bible I can think of Joel, possibly Amos, the Psalms. Um, some other prophetic books where rain uh, elisha for sure Elaine, rain was a sign of refreshment and revival and renewal and like elisha heard the sound of rain he had faith he was he was a prepared vessel and i don't think it's it's um an accident that he called out the prophets of Baal uh during that time and during that season and the fire came down on mount, mount carmel and and consume the entire sacrifice and the prophets of Baal were mocked and ridiculed. And he said, why, why are you wavering between two opinions? People follow God. And then after that, the rain, the blessing of God came. And I I think there's an incredible principle there. Back to the book now. News headlines often read, churches are closing and Christianity is on the decline. But the truth is that Jesus' church is stronger than ever throughout the world. He is building his church and the gates of hell cannot prevail. Check out Matthew 16, 18. But it does beg the question, why does the church as a whole appear so impotent? Well, Leonard Ravenhill made a powerful quote here and it's worth repeating. I think I did it in the other uh, chapter. Since something is obviously stopping the Spirit's inflow to us Christians, so what? what, do some self-examination here. What is stopping your inflow? The same thing is stopping His outflow from us. With the Spirit's help, we need to search for this hindrance. And notice he does not say with the law's help. Uh, It's because the letter kills and the Spirit gives life. So yes, we need the Word of God to enlighten and encourage it and and reprimand and convict and renew our mind. But ultimately, we need to ask the Spirit of God, Lord, show me what is wrong in my own heart. And the law can lead to pride, Uh, the Bible thumping. uh, And I see a lot of people, and the reason I say this is because obviously those (laughs) who are lukewarm, you know, not following God very fervently, obviously we know that's why they're not experiencing a massive downpour of God's spirit into their own heart. But sometimes we forget about this other side, the proud, legalistic. And I saw this. I can't tell you how many times I saw this in my, in my own church, uh, over the years where it's, it's often the legalistic, you know, arrogant, critical, just tearing apart. Just about everything, things that aren't really essential. And they just, the reason is they have a critical heart. They're prideful and they like to show their knowledge. And it's often, often, this is amazing. I rare, I never see these people at prayer meetings. I don't see them at the altar crying out to God, worshiping. Uh, they say that's too emotional. No, it's really their excuse to hide their spiritual apathy. And so that's why I make statements like this is reminding people the law. The book, the word, just the word alone, knowledge puffs up and it leads to pride. And we have, um, covered before how that can block the channels of God's blessing in our lives because God will not share his glory with another. Even people as worthy as ourselves, that's a sarcastic statement, of course. Um, there's only one person worthy, that being Christ. And so back to, to clarify this point, um, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So maybe some of you listening, some of you watching this, you need to humble yourself. You're, you are a judgmental Jerry. You're a critical Kathy. Uh, you don't have the fire of God. You don't have the love of God. Think about it. Think about the, the fruit of the spirit just right off the bat love, joy, peace, contentment, long suffering, gentleness, kindness. That's not the mark of modern day Pharisees. That's not the mark of, of just, mean spirited, angry Christians. Some of them are not even safe, so that's a problem. Um, they've got head knowledge but heart knowledge. But other times and like I've been there, I mean maybe some of you I've talked about this, I've opened up about this in two thousand five and other seasons in my life where I, I drift, you know, you get legalistic and kinda of hard and rigid and use the word of God against people and, you know, and, and, and rule your home with a rod of iron and not too much grace and not too much mercy. It's it's that often is happening because you're dying spiritually, and uh, that apathy, that spiritual apathy is affecting you know all areas of life. But be encouraged. you can change that today. You can change that that today uh, and just cry out to God, and say, "Lord, I repent, I need the fire of the spirit. I need what, uh, what Shane is talking about here. Proud people lack humility and passionate prayer. Um, it's hard to desire, it's hard to desire something you don't think you need. Now, let me say that again. Proud people, they lack humility and passionate prayer because they don't think they need that. They're resting on their Bible knowledge. They they forget that it's really about heart engagement, emotional worship, powerful prayer along with God's word. That's a fourfold strand that is not easily broken. They have the letter of the law but not the heart of Christ. Good theology but hard hearts. Sadly, those in this camp don't think that revival is biblical or they'll make excuses because they are proud, unteachable and eager to dispute. Like the church in Ephesus, they must see their need. Jesus said, "I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first." Consider how far you have fallen, repent, and do the things you did at first, Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. The lukewarm church, on the other hand, disdains the heat of conviction. Thus, it remains lukewarm. So see, here's, that's the problem. This group is, is convicted, you know, by the word of God, so much so that they become legalistic and mean-spirited and um, judgmental and you know a, a a bunch of standards that they put on other people and follow them around for a week and you'll see that they themselves do not follow up to most of these. But then you have the lukewarm church and they don't even like conviction. Uh, they don't like the heat of God's word. Therefore, they remain lukewarm. And when I consider the lukewarm church, I'm often reminded of a book by Wilbur Rees. Wilbur Rees, R E E S. This is incredible. He said this: I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. And Reese continues, I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, but not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy just $3 worth of God, please. Wow. Wow. This is, this is sad, but it's very characteristic of many people today. They honestly don't want to fully surrender their lives and receive the full fire of God's power and presence. Both groups, the proud and the lukewarm must come to full repentance and total abandonment of their former ways. The Holy Spirit, always watching for a believer's deep repentance, moves quickly, quickly to restore, rebuild that person's life. That's what I love about God. Right now, right now as you're listening, you can cry out to God, you can pray, you can repent, you can say, Lord, forgive me, I'm coming back to you. Right now, you don't have to wait six months, you don't have to put in your application and see if they call you. You don't have to follow a checklist and go through some training. Right now, the power of God can come upon you if you repent and fully surrender your life. It's amazing. As a result of the Holy Spirit coming a po- see that's another thing I should probably talk about briefly the holy spirit is alongside of of people we know that you know it, it, so we're paraclete uh, paracletos i believe in the greek where it's alongside like a helper but then the holy spirit is in you uh, the preposition there is um en it's it's it, it, he's he's in you and you're quen- you you're, you can quench and grieve the spirit you can um submit to the work of the spirit and you're sealed with the Spirit. The Spirit your, Spirit is given to you as a guarantee. But then there's something remarkable. Uh, it's called epi. And you'll see that in the Bible. And the Spirit came upon Peter. The Spirit came upon Jesus. The Spirit came upon. It's this EPI. It's a. It's different than in. Um. Because I can have water. I don't have any examples here. But I can have water. Let's say many of you know of a big sparklets bottle, right? Five gallons. You can have water. Okay, look. Now, water is in that sparklets bottle okay it's in it we can see it maybe it's down low or in the middle who knows but it's in it it's not i mean it's it's not affecting anything around it you know let's say there's a computer next to it a laptop next to it uh, an iphone next to it okay nothing no big deal right now but when this word epi is used it is the more water going in more water going into the sparklets bottle. And as this more water goes in, the water comes out and it actually flows out of overwhelmed by uh, upon the bottle. The, the, the water's upon the bottle. It's, it's, it's running down. It's affecting everything on the desk, uh, the recorder, the, the phone, the computer. Everything is now affected and influenced by this incredible overflowing of the water. So see, there's a big difference between the water in the sparklet, sparklets bottle and the water overflowing out of the sparklets bottle. And that's what many people are missing. Many Christians have about this much water. And uh, we, full surrender, you get some more. Surrender this area, you get some more. And again, it's not works-based. And I, I, I want I want people to realize they have all of the Holy Spirit at conversion. You know, you have all of the Holy Spirit conversion, but does he have all of you? In other words, you have, how much do you want him to keep putting in? It, it It is directly related to obedience to the word of God, holiness, filled the spirit of God, a life of prayer, a life of passionate worship. And, and that's how the Holy Spirit comes upon a believer. It's, it's amazing. So anyway, back here to the book. Um, as a result of being filled, you will be uh, passionate for prayer you'll have a humble spirit and there'll be a desire in your heart to share the grace and kindness of the Lord with others through your words and through your works. And again, personal confession, this is hard for me as a pastor. I'm putting a book on audio. We've got these video casts going on. I don't read this and go, "Boy, I'm sure glad I mastered this this a few years ago." I mean, I could be doing great th- today and then later today I'm yeah, not too great. So Lord, help me, I need to repent, and I need to season my words with grace and love and mercy because you're constantly fighting the flesh, so be encouraged. Uh, Next section here, sustaining the flame. Sustaining the flame, what is that word? Um, Probably just got about 10 minutes here, and then we'll close up this chapter. Sustaining the flame, you know, if you build a fire, you gotta keep it going. So repentance clearly sparks the flame of revival, and spiritual renewal, but prayer and fasting continue to keep the fire fueled. What starts revival also re maintains revival, whether it's corporately, in the church, nationally, in your, in our, in our country, our country, community, our county, or in your own personal lives. What started that fire, you've got to, is, is gonna, is gonna keep uh, you're going to need to keep doing that to maintain that fire. Same thing happens in studying revivals, you know, throughout throughout history. I love studying revivals. Um, that initial spark has to be maintained: the prayer, the brokenness, um, the the desperation, crying out to God, and you know, different things that that are happening. And when we deal seriously with our sin, the sin of apathy, God will deal seriously with us, and our prayers will begin to reflect His will. Then then he will take great joy and, 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 and begin to just baptize us in, his, in, in love and joy and peace because we have obedience, we're, we're praying, and we need to be revived. We need to be revived because there is spiritual power via prayer in these dire times. I remember, how about you? I remember when the church sought God in an upper room for days until the fire fell. I remember when we were not in a hurry and extended worship services drove us to our knees. I remember when we prayed for people and they were healed. I remember when people were excited about seeking God rather than making excuses why they can't go to church. I remember when we took authority over the demonic realm and saw God conquering uh, sinners and, and reviving them and, and setting them up on the right path. And I believe we can have that again. Never forget that the weakest saint on their knees makes Satan tremble. Again, the weakest saint, the weakest saint, no matter how weak you think you are, when you're on your knees praying, it makes Satan tremble. Many sing the famous lyrics, this is how I fight my battles. But at some point we have to fight and not just sing. Prayer and fasting are the primary weapons of spiritual warfare. And just in case you're joining us a little late, the reason I mention fasting often with prayer is I see it as a biblical model for sure. Jesus said, When you fast, not if you fast, the disciples fasted Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, uh, David, uh, the psalmist, um, Peter, and Paul, and you know, and and early church. And you can read the writings of uh, Ignatius and Polycarp. Uh, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, I may have already said that, Ignatius, uh, of course, Augustine and the Didache or the Didacte, the early church writings. On, I mean, the reason is, <clears throat> I'm even in, if, you know, as I record this, I'm, I, I, I've, I'm often in a fasted state because you, you deny that fleshly appetite. And I say, Lord, I want to exchange that for an appetite for you. Number one. Number two is, I believe there's, it, it, your physical affects the spiritual. How you take care of your body physically affects the spiritual. So when we eat, especially a large amount, you know, 50% of our body's energy is used to digest that food. So now I don't feel like praying. Now I'm apathetic. I mean, think of trying to pray after a big dinner. It just doesn't work. And so that's why fasting, I believe, is so important. Prayer and fasting are just incredible weapons against spiritual warfare. Uh, and I've taught on that. You can watch, you know, you can search it on my social media outlets for that, that, that topic of fasting. I've written books on fasting. So I'm not going to go into a lot of that now. My, my goal right now is just to spark that hunger for fasting. Uh, in these dire times right now, in these dire situations, repentance, fasting with the right attitude, the right heart, and prayer are always prescribed. I think of Joel. I don't know if I'll, I'll come come to Oh, yeah, I did later on here. Now, now I'm looking down. But first, I think of Isaiah 58.1. Uh, reminds pastors and, and leaders to shout with the voice of a trumpet blast And we must confront spiritual apathy to change it. We must confront sin to spark revival. And in the book of Joel, God's blessings were fading, and the people faced enormous devastation. Sound familiar? Hello? It's the same wake-up call, folks. The wake-up call of God has not changed. The prophet didn't say, well, sit at home and complain, post some memes, do some tweets, do some Instagram, do some TikTok videos. He said, consecrate a fast. In other words, set aside time to fast. Call a sacred assembly. Call call people together. Gather the elders. Elders need to lead by example in the habitant and and the people. And go into the house of your Lord and cry out to God. And when all hope is gone, God is not gone. Cry out. To him, it's interesting. He even goes on to say, "Let the priest come before the porch and the altar, and let the priests, let the pastors lead with brokenness and humility." And Joel reminds us that fasting is a priority from the greatest to the least among us. We also see the importance of desperation. The desperate are truly hungry for God. So be encouraged. Moses received the word of God when he fasted. King Jehoshaphat experienced victory. Esther received protection. Elijah was restored and renewed. Daniel experienced the supernatural. Ezra received direction and safe passage. Nehemiah was strengthened. Joel offered the cure for judgment, which was fasting. Jesus was empowered by his fast. And on and on it goes. Many prayers in the Bible were answered when full stomachs were replaced with full hearts. Fasting is spiritual warfare. Even though you might lose a battle, you don't have to lose the entire war. So get up and keep fighting and keep fasting and keep praying. When you combine prayer, real prayer, where it becomes a daily priority with fasting and worship and obeying God's word and looking to God's word every day, you gain tremendous spiritual muscle. This is why the enemy hates these spiritual disciplines. He knows that prayer is the great sin killer. Prayer is the fear quencher. Fear, I'm sorry, prayer is the power bringer. Fear is the victory giver. It's a holiness promoter. It's a lust eliminator. It's the obstacle remover. It's the time changer. It's a life sustainer. It's the demon slayer. It's the wisdom giver. It's the peace elevator. It's the depression lifter. It's the it's the anxiety demolisher, it's the anger suppressor, it's the weakness remover, it's the strength booster, and prayer is a revival stimulator. Anything negative is counterbalanced during times of prayer. When the church prays, it has power. When you pray, you have spiritual power. Revival is a gift from God. God cares about the spiritually dead enough to wake them up. Up. How do you wake up those who are spiritually dead? You sound the alarm, you sound the trumpet, you confront. And that's what's happening in a lot of churches in America. We are not confronting. We are capitulating and we're um we're singing rockaby, baby, instead of wake up, move a forward, get your hearts right, repent before God. And the third element that the Lord commanded through Joel, the prophet, was the gathering together of the people to worship. This this time of of prayer was amplified in the presence of other brothers and sister, sisters kneeling beside us, lifting up one another before the Lord and crying out for revival with the unified voice. And again, this is why fasting is so important. Can you imagine all go- coming together after a big dinner? And uh, you know, we we have tons of potlucks and get-togethers, and food is everywhere. But there needs to be seasons where King's stomach is dethroned, and we begin to seek God, God, and we we as that hunger comes up we begin to pray like never before and this is why the enemy has been attacking uh especially with the pandemic when i wrote this book in 2020 or so um seeking he was seeking to prevent god's people from calling a solemn a solemn assembly and gathering together to cry out to the lord matthew 18 is an often repeated verse usually out of context but it is powerful it is a reminder of the, of the importance of gathering together the saints. It's when Jesus said, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where there are two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of him. I mean, that's powerful. If you believe the Bible is what it says it is, and I do, that's powerful. Why do you think Satan is trying to keep you busy why do you think Satan's trying to keep you busy and full? Because when I'm busy, I don't have time for God. When I'm full, my spiritual hunger for God is it, it declines at a very, very significant rate. Why do you think God is trying to draw you? Be- I'm sorry. Why do you think the enemy is trying to draw you back into sin and addiction? Why do you think the enemy wants you to stay bitter, angry, and critical to rob you of spiritual power? He is here to steal kill and destroy as John 10:10 10, 10 says. We must change that. We must cry out like the saints of the past and say, "Oh God, would you rend the heavens and come down?" We must return to the prayer closet and return to being hungry, hungry and thirsty for God. That's a very good thing. Now, be encouraged because Isaiah 58 offers incredible hope. Although the context supports Israel returning to God, the principle still applies to us today. Then your light will shine f- out from the darkness. Now, many people You know, say this is what fasting will do to you, uh, in a good way. And, and there's, there's truth to that, but Isaiah 58 in context is really God dealing with the hearts of the people. He's saying you fast, but still you're critical, you're mean, you're negative, you're angry. This is the fast that I chosen, that you, um, that you release those 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 bonds of wickedness and being critical and oppressing your neighbor, then your light will break through. So it's not necessarily saying fasting will cause your light to break through, which it will. It's getting your heart right and then combined it with prayer and fasting. That's where the power really comes from. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You'll be like a well watered garden, like an ever flowing spring. Some of you will. Rep- Build the de- deserted ruins of your cities. Then you'll be known as rebuilders of the wall and a restorer of homes, which is Isaiah 58:10 through 12. I actually chose to use a commentary on this one, the New Living Translation. I encourage. Uh, thought for um, word for word, which is a formal equivalent where these, what I just read is more of a dynamic equivalent. They're good for devotional and stuff, but you know, stick with a good study Bible. Now, are you ready to restore your home in your, in our nation? Here's my call to you. Now we might not restore our nation. It might be going to hell in a handbasket. basket. um, But at least there'll be seasons of revival during this difficulty. At least when darkness rises up, the light will shine. And, uh, but I believe we can have personal revival in our homes and in our churches. And then from that, it will go out and affect the nation. And remember, I'm here in Los Angeles County in California, and I believe this with all my heart because God often takes the least likely in times of darkness when it looks like Revival is least likely because things are so bad. He takes that too. That combination is powerful. He finds men and women on their face crying out to him, praying. He will revive those people that in return can revive a section of the church, a section of the state, and can, those flames of, of revival can go into our to our entire nation or at least into your homes, into the hearts of your children. So are you re- ready to restore personal revival in your heart? Again, the good news is that you can begin today. Did you hear that? The good news is that you be, you can begin today, no matter how far you have fallen, set your sights on God and he will see you through. Let me repeat that again. No matter how far you have fallen, no matter how far you have drifted, it doesn't matter at this point, set your sights on God, set your focus on God, fall forward into his arms of forgiveness and redemption rather than falling backward away from him and into the enemy's camp. Do that today and the results will be amazing. God will get you back on track. Doesn't mean there won't be consequences uh, to our actions, but you will be experiencing the joy of the Lord because you know now you're on the right path. And that brings tremendous peace and comfort and joy. Chapter three, ignite, revival, dead bones come alive. Again, chapter three of If My People, the book uh, hoping to spark some type of revival, either corporately or privately. I want to begin with a quote from Jonathan Goforth. I believe he was a missionary in Canada. He said this, if revival is being withheld from us, it is because we still refuse to face the unchangeable truth that it is not by might, but by my spirit, thus saith the Lord. So true, so true. On the theme of revival, there are often two groups who get offended. Number one, those who have never experienced the fire of God and think they don't need it. And then number two, those who don't want to experience more of God because they are content with their lifestyle, and how they're living. In both cases, dead bones must come alive in order to revive, uh, in order for that person to be revived, and for a church to be revived, and even a community to be revived. The first group is blinded by spiritual pride. Talked about this in chapter two. Uh, A critical heart always quenches the fire of the spirit. Let that be a lesson to everyone, A critical heart always quenches the fire of the Spirit. Spiritually proud people don't like to talk about the work of the Spirit, but they love to argue theology. Like a sinner who doesn't want to talk about sin, many Christians avoid the topic of revival and the deeper work of the Spirit because they are convicted of their own spiritual lack. All right, did you catch that? On the Pharisee side, the judgmental critical side, they're convicted by their lack of fire for God, and therefore they attack those often that are are filled with God's spirit. And then on the other side, you have the carnal, lukewarm, who don't want their lifestyle challenged as well. So, you know, if you're in that middle ground, full of the spirit, it is a hard, hard walk for you, for sure. Not only you've got the world against you uh the enemy against you. I mean, it's just amazing what can transpire uh, once we are filled with the Spirit in regard to spiritual warfare. So when challenged about their lack of Holy Spirit fire, uh, they often say, you know, fire is a sign of judgment. Why would I want that? While fire can be a sign of judgment for the unbeliever, fire is a mighty filling of the Spirit in a Christian. Did you know that? In Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist tells his disciples that Jesus would baptize believers in the Holy Spirit and with fire. So I don't know what you want to do with that, but it's pretty, pretty clear to me that fire is very desirable for a believer. The fire of God, the presence of God, the consuming nature of God, remove, consumes sin, consumes pride, and is this fire, uh, Goes inside and cleanses. It also ignites, ignites a passion for God in the Holy Spirit. But fire is very undesirable in regard to God's judgment uh, for unbelievers. Charles Spurgeon once said, "The fire in the preacher sent of God is not that of mere excitement. There is also a mysterious influence resting on God's servants, which is irresistible. The Holy Ghost sent down from heaven anoints all true evangelists and the true power." and fire from God. I love what Leonard Ravenhill said. He said this, the word does not live unless the unction is upon the preacher. Preacher, with all thy getting, get unction, get fire, or get out of the pulpit. Strong statement, but very true. As a matter of historical fact, genuine revivals all bring the fire of God. Uh, and I'm hoping I pronounce this right. The Campbell saying, the Campbell saying revival, of 1742 often comes to mind, and the website, The Beautiful Feet, records it perfectly. Uh, it says this, the Church of Scotland uh, was pastored by William McCall, had a passion for God, and in February 1741, he began to preach in his church about the importance of being born again. McCall was in communication with Jonathan Edwards in America and received news about the revival that was taking place in America. Uh, That's the first great awakening for those who are not aware. He would read the revival accounts to his congregation and the passion for God increased. On July 6, 1742, George Whitfield visited this church and preached three times on the day of his arrival, and there was a huge amount of people there. His last sermon began at nine in the evening and continued till eleven. The hunger for the word of God was so strong that the pastor preached after him till past one in the morning. Even then, the people could hardly be persuaded to depart. All night in the fields, the voices of prayer and praise was being heard. Let me just stop there for a minute. Can you imagine, you know, this is not odd. I mean, it's odd to unbelievers. It's odd to maybe those who lack the fire of God. But this shouldn't be something we mock. It should be something we long for. God, visit your people again, Rend the heavens and come down. And I'm going to continue here again. George Whitfield commented about this day. It far outdid all that I ever saw in America. For about an hour and a half, there were scenes of uncontrolled distress, like a field of battle. Many were being carried into the pastor's home like wounded soldiers because they were overcome with severe conviction of sin. Now, sadly, if that were to happen in many churches today, I think they would um, begin to mock and rebuke those churches and say, oh, that's, that's false fire uh that's not of god but you know when sin is preached and repentance takes place and god is moving power i mean how is a person supposed to act when the living god touches them <laughs> i mean you know so again i'm not like, excusing weird behavior i'm i'm all like, i'm all for exposing weird behavior in the demonic realm but you know we also have to be open to what god is doing so be clear here revival is not about ke- uh, acting weird It's about the power of God reviving hearts, whether it's the 1802 revival at Yale University, the 1863 revival in the Confederate armies, or the famous revival on the island of Lewis in 1949, all of them centered on reviving dead hearts. So not surprisingly, the conditions prior to revival are always dark and always bleak, just like we're experiencing now. But God's people... um, They should not feel hopeless, even though they often do. But this despair can drive us to our knees. See, that's a good thing. I feel hopeless. It's getting dark. I'm in despair. I'm going to press into God like never before. There you go. You have the formula for personal revival. According to the testimonies of people present at past revivals, the church is often dead and legalism and spiritual compromise are running rampant, sometimes even to the point where the greatest resistance to the move of God comes from the church. It is at this point of greatest need that God calls his remnant, his people of prayer to a season of prayer and fasting and revival is then born. In short, revival is often fueled by hungry seekers desperate for more of God. And again, referring to Beautiful Feet, the website, uh, they do uh, um, articles and things on revival. They also recorded the atmosphere leading up to the revival. <clears throat> leading up to the revival on the island of Lewis. And uh, they said this, Peggy and Christine Smith prayed in their cottage from 10 p.m. till 3 a.m. while the ministers and and others prayed in a barn-like structure in other locations. After several weeks of praying like that, one evening while the minister and church leaders, including both men and women, were praying in a barn, a young deacon read from Psalm 24 verses 3 through 5. He said this, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, who who shall stand in his holy place. He that has clean hands and a pure heart and has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor has he sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. When he closed his Bible, he looked at the minister and others and said, it seems to me Uh, to be so much humbug, to be praying as we are praying, and to be waiting as we are waiting if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. He then prayed, God, are my hands clean? Oh, God, is my heart pure? And immediately around 3 a.m., the presence of God gripped every person present. It wasn't only them that sensed this, for the entire village and larger surrounding areas sensed that same awareness of God. The following day, everyone was absorbed by the reality of eternal things. That group of intercessors left the barn at an early hour and found men and women kneeling along the roads, crying out to God for mercy. Every home had lights on, and no one could sleep with the awareness of God being so overwhelming. Folks, that's revival. That's God-sent, spirit-inspired, doctrinally sound revival. And that should be uh, the, the the heart cry of every believer. Desperate for more of God should be that heart cry for every believer. I also wrote a book with that same title, Desperate for More of God. Uh, and it it encourages this revival atmosphere in all of us. So back here to the manuscript. These stories are born out of genuine God-sent revival. Sadly, many reject revival with words similar to these. Revivals are too emotional. People are just getting carried away. Well, okay, that could be true in many cases. That does happen because the flesh is working. The demonic realm is, is um, you know trying to stop what God is doing. But when you encounter God and Powerful and pr- profound ways shouldn't you be a little emotional I don't know you win the lottery, you have a child, you get your new job and and you're pretty emotional. your favorite team wins uh you're pretty emotional so see emotional emotions aren't bad they just have to be sifted through the through the the uh the sift of god's word. And uh, people aren't getting carried away all the time. They're they're pressing into God like never before. Um, so I don't think we can easily just discredit all of these powerful moves of God by saying it's just emotionalism. The problem is people are convicted. They're not genuinely experiencing God, and therefore, they are throwing rocks at those who do. It's like that old saying, you know, you want to pull someone else down, and it kind of raises you up. It's the same thing when it comes to spiritual hunger, those who lack hunger. I uh, want to make fun and poke fun and, and discredit other things that God is doing. So if that were you, if I, if I were you, I would repent and say, Lord, that's me. I've got a critical heart. I am a judgmental Jerry. I'm a critical Kathy. I beat people up with the word of God. I've got sound doctrine. I'm straight as a gun barrel theologically, but I'm just as empty. God, I repent. Give me brokenness and humility. God, I want to be full of your spirit. And watch what God will do with a humble, broken spirit. A popular contemporary worship song captures the essence of one pleading with God for his refiner's fire to purify them. The worship uh, lyrics ask the question, like Moses, they want to witness God's glory and for the weight of it to bring him to his knees. And let this be our plea as well. Oh God, show me your glory. I want to, I want to experience your power and your presence. God, keep me broken and humble and pliable. Next section is microwave Christianity still on the menu. So I basically just talked about the first group of people, uh, the, you know, the modern day Pharisee kind of, kind of person. The second group is the compromising group, the lukewarm type of, of Christian. Um, and I call them Las Vegas Christians, you know, just not much is different from the world. And they, um, Maybe we'll say that they're Christians, but in their actions and their lifestyle, they really deny the power of God in their own life. And they don't want the power of God because they love the power of sin. The lukewarm church hates conviction. They say that they fear God, but they don't live like it. They indulge temptation rather than fight it. They enjoy sin rather than confront it. They have the appearance of glitter and beauty in the dark of night, but the bright light of the sun shows the dirty facade. They mock those who seek holiness and chide those who want to truly live for God. God's word is clear. The power of the spirit is always hindered hindered by a sinful lifestyle. Let me say that again. The power of the spirit is always hindered by a sinful lifestyle. And that can involve carnality and lukewarmness, but it can also involve a critical spirit, an arrogant spirit. That will hinder the work of the spirit in your life like nothing else you've ever experienced. The Las Vegas Christian is only concerned with pleasure, ease, and maintaining uh, their lifestyle. Uh, They are those who sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. 1 Corinthians 10, 7. And I want to remind all of you that sin fascinates before it assassinates. Let me say that again. Sin fascinates before it assassinates. Whatever group you're in, the only way for dead bones to come alive is to first recognize that you are spiritually dead. Many have a form of microwave Christianity. You know, a form of godliness, but they really deny the power thereof. People are bored, they say. They're bored in church. The Bible's boring. Uh, but they're, they don't realize that church is often boring because the power of God has vanished either from the church or their own personal lives. And like Samson, they know not that the spirit of the Lord has departed from them. Now, as a believer, the spirit will not depart, but you will quench and grieve the spirit and his influence, his impact will be hindered. And you can tell dead churches, they are just Dead as a cemetery. And then you have other churches, you know, a lot of, um, even a lot of mega churches right now that are tickling the ear, but they're not challenging the heart. So it's exciting. Worship is great, but lives are not being changed at a a very deep level, and they will never experience revival because they're not pressing in. They're not talking about repentance and the blood of Christ, the judgment of God. Yes, grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. Thank you. But don't ignore the other truths of the Bible that help balance that out. Blood of Christ, atonement, judgment, propitiation, which means Jesus absorbed the wrath of God repentance, uh, the reality of hell. And you, ha- you have to preach all of the counsel of God in order for a revival to genuinely be sparked. So once again, you can position yourself to seek God. And that promise that I talked about earlier, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart, that promise will be yours. You will find God if you seek. But to seek in this context means to find what is missing. It means you don't stop. You don't do a five-minute devotional a few times a day and say, well, I tried that. It didn't work. No, 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 no. This, this system works. You seek until you find. You pursue until you track down. You uh, petition until God answers. The Hebrew word for seek, which I love to talk about this word, bakash, has a very strong meaning imagine losing your child in a crowded mall. Okay. You lose your child in a crowded mall. How would you spend your time? Where would your energy be concentrated? Would you go eat lunch first? Uh, you know, what? I've got to use the restroom. Let me run out to my car and get something. And no, that pursuit would be an all consuming passion of yours. Now parallel that with seeking God. That's what that word means. So many of us, You know, I've been guilty of this myself. I've heard people say, but Shane, I am seeking God. Nah, you're not seeking God to that degree. You're making it, you know, the seeking fit on your schedule according to your timeline, as long as you don't have to change too much in your lifestyle. That's not seeking God. When you seek something wholeheartedly, it becomes the priority of your life. Whenever God's people drifted in the Old Testament, and when they drift today, it's because they fail to give God the preeminence in their lives. Jeremiah and Deuteronomy both offer a wonderful promise you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart consider going to bed early so you can seek him early the next day that's one step i recommend okay number one and this might not apply to everyone obviously but this really helped me i mean you're just going through the channels i mean years ago i'm talking 23 years ago i decided why am i staying up till 11 o'clock at night everything the last two or three hours is unproductive in my mind uh, I, I don't have as, as good of sleep. I wake up not hungry for the things of God because I just filled my mind with junk the night before. So consider going to bed earlier, read the word of God, read books on prayer, go to bed hungry for God, get off, I would definitely get off caffeine early in the day and all these things because they prevent sleep. They prevent your, your, your mind from relaxing and then get to bed early and then wake up early hungry for God and read, um, encouraging books after you read the word of God. And begin to put things in your mind that will build you up spiritually instead of pull you down. To ignite personal revival, we must set our hearts back to the right position and seek God. Like a surgeon resets a bone, we must reset our relationship with the Lord. First Chronicles twenty two nineteen. 19. Set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. The opposite of ignite, and that's what we're talking about in this chapter. Again, depending on when you're listening to this. I'm reading from If My People. It's a new book. Uh, It's not a new book, but I'm putting it on audio uh, this year in 2023. And we're talking about igniting a passion for God, igniting personal revival, corporate revival. And so the opposite of ignite is to extinguish. It's to suffocate. It's to quench. And what good are we doing if we extinguish a fire in our heart, if we suffocate God's voice, if we dull the knife of the Spirit. We must make seeking God a priority since it will never happen on its own. Folks, did you catch that? This will never happen on its own. The default position of the flesh is always to drift away from God. We have to fight daily and we have to pull uh, things out of our mind, the filth that is trying to penetrate our minds. We have to pull those things out and and get rid of the things of the world and begin to press in uh to God like never before. As the famous poem by an unknown author goes, this will really be relevant. Check this out. All the water in the world, however hard it tried, could never sink the smallest ship unless it gets inside. All the evil in the world, the blackest kind of sin, Can never hurt you in the least unless you let it in. Wow. Powerful, powerful. Next section here, the power of prioritizing. As funny as it may sound, we must make plans to seek God. Did you get that? We must make plans to seek God. We need to adjust schedules and calendars to put him first in our lives. Take a quick glance at your calendar and checkbook to see what's really important. But be warned, when we decide to seek God, it's almost as if all hell is unleashed to stop us. Something pops up in the morning. I, I had issues at night, I, the family arguments, your kids are out of control. Everything to detract you and sidetrack you from seeking God. The main tool that the enemy uses is busyness, 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 busy with the cares of this life. That's why I encourage pastors to take mini sabbaticals, people uh working, take time off of work when you can, seek God, turn off your phones, spend time with your family as well, pray with them, and, and get that balance back. It's so important right now, especially in the busyness of our lives. And as a result, God often takes a backseat when we're so busy. And he stays there for the rest of our ride uh, if we don't fight to pursue him and get him back up in the front seat, back up in the driver's seat, and begin to 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 make God our all-consuming fire. Yes, it's a struggle. It's hard. We don't always feel like it. Issues come up. Uh, distractions come in. Temptation wants to take us away. But we pursue. We fall forward. We're steadfast. And we discipline our body to seek God. So first, commit today to begin removing things that pull you away from God. Granted, emergencies, important meetings, and urgent engagements will always happen. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about removing those things that we can remove and prioritizing God now. For example, most people don't need to watch so much social media. They can begin to pursue God like never before. And what you'll find is, you know, you, you'll try it like Shane, I'm trying. Uh, this is hard. I'm trying. Oh man, I want. Yeah, that's your flesh wanting the old man, wanting the old nature. And so there's, there's withdrawals for sure. And so you've got to fight through that. You've got to get back on the right track. Um, and I mentioned, you know, I, 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 all the TV I used to watch and social media and, you know, sometimes there's, there's, um, it's okay, you know, some, some godly entertainment and just to take your mind off things. But if it becomes our all consuming passion and the fire of God begins to fade, then we've definitely have to make readjustments. Um, as I'm speaking on this, this book, um, you know, it, it's, as I'm recording this book and actually as I wrote the, the, the actual book, I wrote in here as well that, um, it's been months since I actually watched anything on television. And the reason is so that I spend time pursuing God via reading and praying. But again, granted, sometimes I watch things with my kids and and I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail here, but you know, you know what I'm saying. If you're convicted, something is taking you away from God. It's not productive. Instagram searches, TikTok searches, Twitter feeds. I mean, a lot of this stuff is not very productive. You know, find out what you need to find out, post what you need to post, and then begin to bring structure, you know, back into your life every few months, someone says, I can't believe that you get so much done. Okay. People say that to me a lot and I'm not special. I'm just doing what I believe is the best appropriation for my time. So writing these books, actually recording this audio, I got up this early this morning, got some time with God, came into the studio, recorded this audio. Now I've got the the rest of the day ahead of me, recorded this chapter. Um, and so it's not that I get so much done and those who are productive, you know what I'm talking about. The key, it is for all of us, is you prioritize your life. You remove things that zap your time and steal your energy and that are not productive. Some of you need to cut out relationships. Some of you need to cut out the way you spend your time. Some of you need to turn, something has been very beneficial for me is to turn my phone off at a certain time and not look at it for a while and, and not always be on it and have that day off. Uh, for most pastors and things, it can be a Monday off and it's a uh, it 's pretty incredible, um and so by reading good books or praying before bed you're going to wake up hungry for more of God versus being hungry for the world. Whatever you feed your mind becomes the dominating influence in your life although although this may not apply to everyone, one of the best the decisions I ever made okay, I just see the word here we 're going to get a little convicting right now. <laughs> Although this might not apply to everyone, one of the best decisions I've made, and I should say probably severely limited, um, was to severely limit and even at times give up my coffee addiction. Okay. Here's, I'm just, I'm just, this is just a practical example for me. This might not relate to everyone. It, uh, hindered my time with God it It took away that time with God because I'd sit down, and for me, I'm jittery, I've got our things in my mind anxious, irritable, and for seeking God, yeah, that doesn't work really well um and I know it's a it's a drug, uh so I had to have this drug before I got into the Word of God. And this drug would make me want to read through the word of God quicker. I can't really absorb what I'm reading. I got things to do. Uh, if something goes, goes on or my kids get up early, I'm irritable. And and just for me, it wasn't good. It was a really good thing, or at least minimize it, you know, um, minimize it to something very minimal to where it's not really affecting you at all. And it's not affecting your attitude. Um, and I wanted, I wanted to just be, um, you know, focused on God and it, it got me sidetracked. It was like my mind was, was, you know, on a powerful stimulant. And so uh, it took some hard work, but by God's grace, eventually broke free of that. And as a result, um, there's a lot less anxiety, a lot less irritability, a lot less anger. And as you're pursuing God, as you're seeking God, you need that quietness, that stillness, and that was counterproductive. Um, And so that's just one little thing I've done did another big thing that will help too. I don't think it's a little thing. I think that the caffeine thing is a big thing. Uh, now green tea, it's funny. Green tea, people ask, has a different, the way the caffeine is released into your body, it has more of a, uh, um, a relaxed approach where the caffeine is directly into your blood system and directly into the, 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 the getting the, the, uh, the, the, the central nervous, nervous stimulate, the central nervous system stimulated. There we go. That was a little tough. And so that's why there's a difference and green tea has a lot less caffeine. So I would, I would opt for that if you can. Um, secondly, make a prayer list and go to war when you have the most energy. Okay. That's the key. Make a prayer list and go to war when you have the most energy. I have prayers written on a dry erase board as well as index cards. And as I pray, I also read the Bible. I'm able to give God the freshest part of my day, the early hours of the morning. And during this time, countless sermons. Most of the sermons you guys hear, um, have been birthed in, in, in the morning time with God. And God poured wisdom, God pours wisdom into our hearts during these times that we set aside for Him. And this is also the time when you prepare for spiritual warfare. You don't prepare for spiritual warfare in the midst of the warfare. By then, you are a sitting duck. What you do is you prepare beforehand. This time with God prepares you for the storms ahead. So as you can see, this is, this is so important, uh, to get our lives, uh, on the right track and prioritize, prioritize God. And if you're a night person, you know, that's fine too. Whatever. The time that works best for you, give God your best hours. But again, expect demonic opposition who's going to try to sidetrack you with busyness. And I'm often reminded of Ephesians 6, 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. When you see God wholeheartedly, demons cannot defeat you. Haters cannot silence you and people cannot break you. Money cannot buy you and trials cannot stop you. Fear cannot control you and the devil cannot seduce you. The government cannot overthrow you and addiction cannot hold you down. There's no greater feeling than reaping the benefits of seeking God. And as Vince Lombardi said, famous football coach, I firmly believe that any man's finest hour, the greatest fulfillment of all that he holds dear is that moment when he has worked his heart out in a good cause and lies exhausted on the field of battle victorious. If he can say that about football, how much more when we lie victorious on the field of spiritual battle, having defeated the enemy. Thirdly, to properly seek God with all your heart, we must remove hindrances such as besetting sin. Idolatry, uh, which is, um, you know, you, you can... Shape your idolatry in sports, entertainment, success, lust, and all of those things. It damages the seeking heart. Idolatry is putting anything before God. I must seek this before God. That will uh, sidetrack you every opportunity it gets. Idolatry will because it is seductive. Uh, And I'm assuming the reader understands that I'm not saying one can't enjoy a sporting event or a concert or, you know, uh, entertainment. I mean, healthy entertainment is good for us. But I'm referring to a lifestyle that puts God on the back burner so other interests can, other interests can be pursued you need to repent of that today david wilkerson once said it is impossible to maintain the joy of the lord if sin is present in one's life we must increasingly increasingly separate ourselves from the world around us how can the holy spirit pour joy into his people and can, as we continue to indulge in adultery addictions materialism you know pornography living like those who do not follow christ how can we experience the joy and power of the spirit? We can't. Hello. So anyway, let me give you a uh, just a real brief conclusion. I want you to be encouraged. God may sometimes feel far away, but that's the time to press in even more. This pressing strength builds faith and it builds muscle. Um, I'm sorry. Let me repeat that. This pressing into God will strengthen your faith. It will build spiritual muscle. It will deepen your resolve to seek God with all of your heart, with all of your strength. It's been said, pray the hardest when, the, when it's the hardest to pray. Let me say that again. So true. Pray the hardest when it is the hardest to pray. Your feelings are the caboose of the train, not the engine. They shouldn't lead, but they should at least follow. It's easy to seek God when you feel like it, but it's crucial to seek Him even when you don't. Okay? Let me let me unpack that again. Your feelings are the caboose of the train, okay? They're not the engine. They 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 followed making the right choice. They follow discipline, perseverance, godliness, even when you don't feel like it. So you don't go by your emotions, you go by what is right. And it's easy to seek God when we feel like it. Hello? But it's crucial to seek him even when you don't. That's what's really going to tip the scale uh, into your favor. And that's why hate, uh, faith plays a huge role in pursuing God. Again, faith plays a huge role in pursuing God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you see, you faithing. I was going to trusting, having faith in God. That's really the difference maker. And you just pray, God, I want the fullness of the spirit. I want to be full of your spirit, Lord. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to experience you. And God will honor that prayer if you honor that commitment. And I do want to put in a quick sidebar here. It's not in the book. A lot of this stuff is not in the actual book. But, you know, we can get so focused on, you know, works and discipline and commitment and perseverance and, and it becomes, it can't become burdensome. You become overburdened with constantly measuring up, constantly doing this. And, you know, that, that's not necessarily biblical. Because we're also supposed to rest in God's sovereignty, to trust in him, to have joy unspeakable, to have this passionate relationship with him. And then out of that flows obedience. So if you make obedience your God, you will be miserable. Make God your God, love him, fall forward, understand his grace and love and mercy. And then out of that, I want to obey him. That's when everything comes together and it feels very wonderful because the Holy Spirit is giving you the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, consent, contentment, long suffering, gentleness, um, all those different things. So now that we've looked at the vital importance of humility, prayer, and placing God in the center of our life, right? The first three chapters, this last ingredient found in 2 Chronicles 7, 14 is how we view sin. So in the next chapter, we're going to take a very important look at repentance. So make sure you read or listen to chapter four and if my people. And again, that's a good recap. You know, we've, we've humbled ourselves. Uh, now we embrace a life of prayer and now we're placing God first in our lives. If my people humble themselves, pray, seek my face, not my hand, not what I can give them, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will Uh, forgive their sin. And so um, anyway, that hopefully will get you to the next chapter. Um, You can read that at your convenience or uh, uh, scroll to it, um, and that will uh, get you there. Chapter four, repentance, desperate for change. And I like what Leonard Ravenhill said as we get into this chapter. Chapter in revival, God is not concerned about filling empty churches; He is concerned about filling empty hearts and this final chapter in my book, if my people read this or listen to this in case in case of national emergency, is the final portion of second chronicles uh, seven fourteen If my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So again, chapter four, repentance, desperate for change. I will never change. I keep failing. I keep falling. God, please help me, said one once happy person who was defeated time and time again by sin. Change is difficult, but we risk endless difficulties and often tragedies if we don't repent and change. Change requires self-examination grace, responsibility, humility, discipline, obedience, and repentance. Did you catch that? That's a mouthful. But if we truly want to change, we have to apply the biblical principles of self-examination, giving ourselves grace, relying on God's mercy, take responsibility, humble ourselves, discipline the body, obey God's word, and repent. Uh, and these are character qualities that run counter-cultural, it means they go against the world's standards. We have enough books and sermons. Uh, to fill how many libraries on this issue of change it 's amazing, uh, and we have um a lot of information on how to do something, but the problem really is want to many people know how we we just don 't have the desire the want and if you've read my book Desperate for more of God, or if you've heard me speak before you've probably heard the story uh that i 'm about to give as well as most of the points in this section because this this issue of repentance doesn't change over time uh it's it's a it's a it's a timeless truth that does not change so i'm hoping that there's some conviction here possibly a catalyst for change and um it, it's so important that repentance genuine repentance is a mark a hallmark of our life i vividly remember a men's conference where i spoke on the dangers of pornography a man approached me after the message. His eyes were filled with tears and he said, my wife is leaving me because of porn. This conference is my last chance. After talking and praying, we saw that his desire was being fed primarily through, you know, cable TV and sports channels. Many of the explicit commercials and the cheerleaders and photos he told me sparked his lust. So after a few minutes, I said, well, in addition to repentance, accountability, transparency, um, You've got to remove the television and disconnect the inter- internet for a while. Give your wife, you know, uh, some hope there. Show your wife that your marriage is worth it. His response was alarming back then, and it's still alarming today, but it's characteristic, a characteristic of so many people. He said this, I can't do that. Kind of like he looked at me, bro, are you kidding me? I can't do that. I'm a sports fanatic surprised and disappointed, I asked, how badly do you want it? How badly do you want a healthy marriage? How badly do you want a vibrant relationship with the Lord? How badly do you want the abundant life that Christ spoke of? How badly do you want a godly role model for your kids? Obviously not bad enough. And I asked the same question today. How badly do you want it? It all starts here. You must be desperate for change. And I often think of that, that young man. Where's he at today? Um, Based on what he told me, he's not in a good spot. Can you imagine maybe on his second, third marriage, life is falling apart, kids don't respect him, possibly caught in addiction. Guys, this is no joke. Repentance is no joke. It is the lifeline to our savior. Uh, and, and, and right now I'm talking primarily to, to believers repenting, getting back on track. If my people confess, turn from their sin, but there's also repentance unto salvation. So if you're watching this and you're not a believer, you don't know Jesus Christ, you've got to repent and believe that God can save you and set you free in that wonderful work on the cross. And genuine repentance, when it takes place, the fruit of the Spirit follows, you're you're cleansed, you're set free. It's an amazing thing once we take that step and humble ourselves. And Jesus often asks, do you want to be made well? For example, John 5, 6. And although theologians are divided on the motive behind such questioning, one thought is crystal clear. We must Want to change and not just talk about it, man, so many people talk about it, but we have to want to change. Take anger, for example, it does not produce good fruit. Go ahead and check out James one twenty uh, What about controlling your tongue? Uh, what about um backbiting and slandering because the Lord hates gossip, backbiting, and slander. Proverbs talks about things that the Lord hates, and one of those is uh, someone who sows discord among them brethren. What about wrong attitudes? Anyone listening have wrong attitudes? I mean, it can slip into my own heart often, critical spirit negative, especially what's going on in our world today or our nation today? Uh, what about self-righteous and judgmentalism? Those are dangerous. What about addictions? Uh, you know, these include anything from food to drugs to alcohol to pornography to unhealthy lusts. And we do forget about um gluttony often ha- and how that is uh, a sin in God's eyes, abusing the body and just being addicted to, to food and and even, I mean, there's, there's minimal type drugs, if you want to call them minimal, nicotine, caffeine, that, uh, are really, you know, when we're addicted to something, it is a form of idolatry, especially if God's convicting us. You know, there's, there's freedom in Christ. I got it. But if you know something is, is making you irritable and anxious and moody and it's harming your body, you might want to really think twice about this so-called liberty. It, it's possibly and probably is an addiction that needs to be repented of it, repented of it, repented from, and then you repent of it, of course. Sadly, many do not want to change. In fact, our flesh loves sin. It really does. The first step towards change then is repenting of pride as well as destructive areas in your life. I should say other destructive areas in your life because pride is destructive. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon rightly noted, we are never Never so much in danger of being proud as when we think we are humble. Let that sink in for a minute. Those who are humble will say, Amen. Praise God. So true. Thank you, Lord, for keeping me humble. Those who are prideful, this will just go right over their head. They're like, Yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm humble. Give me a break. We are never, never so much in danger of being proud as when we think we are humble. When challenging people in this area, I often ask them, are you genuinely sorry and repentant? Or are you just sorry that your reputation uh, and, and your life are on the verge of being ruined? The difference between sorrow and repentance is vital. And many confuse the two. It's possible to be sorry, but not repentant. What I mean by that is we're sorry about the consequences. Ah, I got caught, but we're not truly repentant. A What they call a penitent, penitent person P-E-N-I-T-E-N-T-I sometimes have problems with this word for some reason. A penitent person, let's just say a repentant person, turns from sin. Anger, for example, subsides, not remains. They accept full responsibility for their actions without blame, resentment, or bitterness. When repentance is genuine, we want to be reconciled with those we've injured. We also want to fix the damage we caused. We seek forgiveness without conditions and stipulations. I see so many people, especially couples, you know they'll get together and they've got their arms crossed and yeah, okay, I'll repent, but you know you need to do this or you need to do that or i mean it it's just it's it's not legitimate, genuine repentance, and it will not produce godly foot fu- food godly food It's too early godly fruit. Uh, and we take full responsibility when we're genuinely repenting. We take full responsibility for our actions. We own it. There can be no buts when repentance is genuine. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Those are often healing words and signs of genuine repentance. Obviously not always because people could just be giving you lip service, but more often than not, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. And so if this is not occurring, repentance has not taken place. Uh, excuses need to stop before change and restoration can occur. And that's why the that portion of Second Chronicles 7.14 is so important. If my people, if my people humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, if they repent. See, you, you can do the other three. And not repent and you know, you're not, you're not on your way to victory there. Um, Christopher Morgan reminds us that there can be no agreement as to what salvation is unless there is an agreement to that from which salvation rescues us. It is impossible to gain a deep grasp of what the cross achieves without plunging into a deep grasp of what sin is. So again, back to the unbeliever. We have to see that we have sinned before God, that even our supposed good works are, 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 are an abomination in the sight of God. They're a stench in the sight of God. No one is good. No, not one. We have sinned before God and we repent of that and we, we, we embrace by faith the wonderful victory on the cross that Jesus Christ Accomplished by paying for our sins, and we simply repent, humble ourselves, and acknowledge that, and then we're saved and we're set free from the bondage and the 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 the, sin, the, the death sentence that sin has over us. It's a very wonderful thing. Uh, in short, we cannot minimize the damage and destruction of sin. Jesus didn't die on a cross for a shortcoming or for a predisposition. He died to rescue us from the hellish grip of sin. That's why repentance is our only hope and the main catalyst for revival. Uh, And I'm going to say that again. Repentance is the main catalyst for revival. As uh, Ian H. Murray said, he's an incredible um, author who's written a lot of uh, biographies on different um, people. He said this, he rightly noted in his incredible work, Revival and revivalism: the making and marrying of American evangelicalism. Evangelicalism. Whew! It's a long title. 1750 to 1858. He talks about all the different uh, awakenings during that time, and he said this: all awakenings begin with the return of a profound conviction of sin from attitudes of indifference or of a cold religious formality. Many are suddenly. Brought by the hearing of the truth to a concern and a distress so strong that it may even be accompanied by temporary physical collapse and uh Ian Murray is solid, solid guy, and for him to say this really um is noteworthy uh, it's not just some guy being emotional i mean this this when 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 sinful man encounters a living God, and that's why revivals sometimes are not pretty. They're not, we can't keep God in a box. We can't tell people, you know, just keep, just keep, keep sitting, keep, 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 you know, keep your seat there. Don't, don't get to, don't, don't, don't go to the altar. Don't raise your hands. Don't, don't have any out loud outbursts. Now we don't necessarily want that. We don't want to, um, have people fake it or the flesh or the enemy distracting. But when a holy God interacts with sinful man, that's not always, uh, pretty. And I remember when God brought me home, the prodigal son home, I think it was right around, I think, you know, I, I wish I wrote it down, January 1999. Definitely 99 was a hard year. Um, you know, the old man wants to still come back and 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 uh, bring you down. But I remember that, that morning on the floor, crying out to God, reading his word, worship on, and I'm just, I can't stop crying and weeping because um his grace and I I I praise God I didn't die before I fully surrender my life and and uh that that if that wasn't a church service that would not have looked um very pretty uh it would have been gave people pause for concern what's wrong with that guy man that's emotionalism boy that that can't be God give me a break folks um we've got to be prepared that when people genuinely repent there is sometimes, um, an emotional response. Next section here, hearing is not doing. Hearing is not doing. Some have suggested that repentance is just self-improvement or a call to fulfill our natural potential. When we repent, we do improve, and our God-given potential becomes more apparent. But repentance is not about self-improvement. It's about renouncing and turning from sin. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change in action. Brokenness and genuine sorrow over sin and humility are marks of sincere repentance. Lasting hope and joy are also byproducts of a right relationship with God, beginning with what? Repentance. Yay. Wonderful chapter here on this glorious truth. And that's why it breaks my heart that many pastors and churches aren't talking about this incredible truth. It's like trying to offer someone uh, help to lose weight, get on track, get their health under, under control. But don't talk to them about their diet and lifestyle choices. (laughs) I mean, wow. So that's what happens when we don't talk about repentance. We actually uh, prevent people from truly experiencing God. Because there's always a link between genuine change and sincere repentance. On numerous occasions, when I've spoken out about the danger of sin from the pulpit or during counseling, most people enthusiastically agree that it is wrong, but they continue any, anyway. They hear, but they do not do. Therefore, according to James one twenty two, they actually live in deception. They are deceiving themselves. Think about that. All of you listening or watching, if you know what to do and you're not doing it, you're actually living in deception because you think you're all right. And you're not all right we it's the, the the power of God's Word comes in the application of it, not in the hearing of it. Pride is deceptive; it blames everyone else but fails to look within. I remember a time when I, along with a few others, confronted a man about his pride instead of recognizing his blind spot, he threw it back on those in the room. Unable to perceive his own pride, the man allowed sin's deception to take over and spiritual blindness set in. When pride gains a stronghold, the heart hardens and an array of excuses follow. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James one fifteen. Think about that. Sin, we conceive of sin, we think of sin, we have a choice. Do we act upon that sin? Because the door of temptation swings both ways. My mom used to tell me you can enter or you can exit. And so once sin is laid hold of and you cave into it, if you continue to nourish it and give it, give it, uh, uh, nutrients and, and act upon it and continue to fuel it and feed it that sin as it grows will bring forth death in your life sometimes physical death definitely spiritual death mental uh trials i mean it's just death is not necessarily um dying physically although it is it's a, it's a, it's a separation from god A spiritual death is a separation from god because people die when they die they don't die e- e- uh, eternally and their bodies are are never uh, resurrected and they they cease to exist annihilation they are separated from God. And so we can still experience spiritual death here as we, um, begin to hear, but do not apply. Repentance followed by obedience is crucial. This is the, the, the duo that stops sin dead in its tracks. Repentance and then I obey kills sin. It aborts sin right when it's conceived. Or later on, if you're maybe you're listening to this and you've messed up, man, life is going in a really bad direction. I want you to know that if you're hearing this and or watching this, you're never too far out of God's scope of redemption. While you still breathe breath here on earth, you're never that far out of God's reach for redemption or to get back in the center of His will. Shame the consequences. I'm, I'm in now. I'm in so deep. Yes. Turn, though, back to God. Let him restore. Let him rebuild. And there will be consequences. But see, now you've got God on your side. Let's say somebody confesses to adultery. Wow. What a biggie there. Someone confesses to an abortion. Somebody confesses, confesses to, um, robbery or stealing or manipulating or lying to his spouse and his kids. And now, or the wife is doing this and the wife is, and, and now they're just, there's this huge mess. But when you repent and you get back in good graces with God, now God walks with you through the journey he gives grace to the humble but he resists the proud so i would encourage you no matter where you're at turn back to god asap don't say yeah maybe next month i've got to get some things in order first i've got to i'm enjoying my sin right now no 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 don't 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 go and spend all your 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 things on riotous living prodigal son or daughter come home ASAP. Um, and here we go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish up here. Feelings often deceive, but obedience can be trusted. Another people, another reason, another reason. For example. Some people say, you know, Shane, I just don't feel convicted. Even though you know when they're in sin, they're living with someone they shouldn't be living in. You know, Shane, I just don't feel convicted. I don't know what to tell you. Well, that's because your, your, your spirit is dull to the things of God. If you are a Christian, you've quenched and grieved the spirit of God. So, of course, you don't feel the fire of the spirit. You've, 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 you've quenched him. Uh, and, and, and you start to justify things and you've lived away such a, a, a long time, you live a lie. And yeah, of course, you, you, you feel okay, but that's deception because obedience to God's word. That's the only thing that can be trusted. And then our feelings will eventually follow. You'll have feelings of joy and peace and contentment. It's a beautiful thing when repentance takes place. Sadly, many do not want to experience freedom and true restoration because wholeness is found in obeying the truth, not just hearing it. For some people, church serves as therapy for this very reason. They hear about sin, they're convicted, and then they leave feeling justified because they heard it and they felt something but they never repent and therefore they never change or sometimes the opposite occurs they never hear about sin in churches so change through repentance does not occur how many churches right now in America are are you know let's say uh, you know mega churches small churches you know on a, any given sunday millions and millions and millions of people who need to hear about repentance and the call to turn back to God and to confess their sin and to get out of that lifestyle are not being told that. They're being given encouraging messages and God loves you just the way you are and you're the head and not the tail and you're going to come out ahead and and delay is not deny and seven steps to this breakthrough. And see, all of those things are good in context. We need to be encouraged that God, uh, loves us and God's for us. And, but if that's all you tell someone and they, they, they feed off of encouragement only void of conviction, they will never walk in the fullness that God wants them to fullness. And what I mean by that is the full scope of his will, joy and peace and doing his will. And, and so a lot of people aren't called to repentance because it's not popular. And so, yes, we should balance Encouraging messages, you know, God still loves you. God cares for you. God wants what's, you know, best for you, according to his word, though, not what we think, you know, not your best life now necessarily, but what he, best for you biblically, there's mercy, there's grace, and, and we are the head, not the tail, Um, and we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, and there are seven steps to better understanding your spouse, or financial prosperity in some instances, you know, a better way to handle your money, I should say, because I don't believe in in the prosperity gospel. Um. But if you don't season all that with repentance and getting right before God and obedience and crying out to God, then you're really, what you're doing is you're giving somebody a half truth and a half truth never leads to full success. Think about that. If I give someone half the truth, it, it can be very damaging. Hey, hey, uh, my car is working, son or daughter. My car is working. You can drive it. Okay. It's working. The engine's been fixed. You know, we had it repaired. Oh, but the tires are flat. (laughs) I'm not going to tell them about that. So see, that's a half truth doesn't do actually does some, it does a lot of harm because you go to church thinking everything's great. And how many people are led to utter destruction? Uh, hell, eternal damnation. How many, how many are led to that by? by cowardly preachers, pastors, teachers who don't tell them the whole truth. And they're going to have to be held responsible as well. And again, I'm not trying to put down people. If I was just, if God just left me up to Shane Eidelman, I wasn't in his word, I wasn't worshiping, I wasn't trying to remain broken, repentant as humble as much as possible and wanting God to speak through me, I would drift and I would want to tell people what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. But when pastors spend significant time in the prayer closet, significant time worshiping, significant time, uh, not only obeying God's word, but dissecting God's word, What happens is because from all of that, now they are full of the Holy Spirit. They're full of what God wants to tell them, to tell people. And then the fullness of the Spirit comes out. And that's really how you see lives radically change because a sermon void of the Spirit is just a good talk. It really doesn't, you know, significantly change uh, people at a very deep level. Genuine faith is reflected in obedience to God and his word. The fruit that follows is sincere Humility, selfless love, true repent- repentance, and a disengagement from the things of the world. Did you catch that? The fruit that follows sincere humility, I'm sorry, the fruit that follows sincere repentance and obedience to God's word is humility and it's selfless love and it's true repentance and it's a disengagement from the things of the world. I don't enjoy the things of the world that oppose God. I, I-, I want to. F- fill my mind and heart with things that that are honoring, God honoring. Um, if you're not doing that, and then there'll be, if you're, there, there's self-love, uh, there's loathing, there's pride, there's a lot of anger. Uh, it's just a mess when we are in disobedience to God's word. There's no joy. There's no fruit in our lives. It's like what I call the walking dead. They go to church now and then, they might thumb through the Bible, but they are dead spiritually because they need to repent. And the, I love the verse in Acts, repent so that times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Now, obviously, that was for unbelievers. And they'll feel times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. But that's also an incredible principle about revival, a re- 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 the refreshment of the Lord when you repent. And that can happen to believers. So many times when we repent, we get right with God. Man, the joy that follows is incredible. I, I, I never want to go without that. Does your life reflect these characteristics? Because both hearing and obeying the truth are equally important. Now, a quick word of encouragement to those who have failed. If you feel discouraged, don't be. You can get back on track like I just said earlier. Often you'll have two choices, to fall backward or to fall forward. If you fall forward into forgiveness in time, God's grace will heal and restore you. But it begins with humility. Humble yourself today and end the cycle of pride and defeat and disobedience. God can rebuild your life and open doors that you might not have even thought possible. Next section here, hidden in plain sight, hidden in plain sight. This is a very important uh, part of this book as well. Social media is filled, filled with jealousy and envy. Self-indulgence is rampant in the church. Sexual sin has reached an epidemic and some churches are compromising the gospel in an attempt to reach the culture. At least that's what they say. Well, we got to cave in on these areas to reach your culture. No, you don't. The power is... The power of the gospel is maintaining the character and the integrity and dignity of the gospel. And people see that difference. You don't change. And so people, you don't compromise the gospel to draw people in. You stand on the gospel and that draws people in. Now, granted, we are called to reach out to others, but not at the expense of compromise. I mean, I've witnessed soft porn images on Christian websites, questionable movie clips during PowerPoint sermons, and youth pastors talk about their favorite sexually charged TV show or movie with the youth. All under the guise of relating to the culture. And we wonder why the American church is powerless. Benson's commentary is spot on when referencing our theme verse in Second Chronicles that they must humble themselves under his hand. They must pray for the removal of judgment. They must seek his face and favor. And yet all this will not be sufficient unless they turn from their wicked ways and return to him from whom they have drifted. And Isaiah reminds us that the arm of the Lord is not sh- uh, short and his ear is not heavy. He can say, but we have to turn back to him. You see, we run the risk of having perverted the words of the living God. Check out Jeremiah 23, 36, by failing to warn and challenge people to turn from their sin. Pastors and elders, especially as the church falls deeper into self-reliance and further from reliance on God, we must be bold leaders. Change will only occur when there is a strong conviction of sin, genuine faith, humility, and sincere repentance. May God grant us the wisdom and strength to proclaim these truths. We must stop showing. We must stop showing a contempt for scripture such as Forbearance and long suffering and gentleness and kindness. Repentance is our only hope. The key to revival is hidden in plain sight. Did you catch that? The key to revival. Repentance is hidden in plain sight. Leonard Ravenhill, he once contrasted Hosea with Psalm 86 regarding God's sovereignty and our responsibility in seeking revival. Hosea, 1012 specifically says that if we sow in righteousness, we will reap in mercy, but we must break up the follow ground of our hard hearts and seek God. Now, breaking up follow ground is our job, correct? But repentance is the shovel and blade that prepare the soil. So, we break up the fallow ground. it's our job, and as we repent, that acts like the shovel and the blade that goes underneath and, and tills the dirt. Now the soil is ready. now the soil can receive a downpour. Now the rain can come and fertilize and fuel and renew that land. Soil cannot receive a downpour unless the soil is prepared. I mean, try pouring uh some watermelon seeds on concrete. And then pour some water on top of those seeds, and sit back and watch those grow. Not going to happen. Why is it not going to happen? There's that it, that that seed can't enter. Same thing with our hearts. Uh, we're not going to see the 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 the, the rain of revival if the soil of our heart isn't right and ready and and ripe and ready for uh, God to bring us a season of revival. And we also see though God's sovereignty in Psalm eighty five six. Will you not revive us again, Lord, that your people may rejoice in you? So he's crying out, Lord, will you not revive us? We, we, we want to rejoice in you. So it's evident that joy was missing. Joy always follows repentance. In this same vein of thought, Ravenhill also offered a great analogy. A man who apparently drowned had been under the water for an incredible amount of time. Then somebody pulled him out and worked and worked and worked on him until eventually life came back again inside of him. This is actually what it means to be revived. It means to be revitalized, to restore Uh, The power that has lost has been restored. It means to recover lost energy. So if you are spiritually dead to the things of God, don't wait another day. Don't continue to abuse the grace of God. Turn to God today, whether it's for the first time as an unbeliever coming to know him and saying, I repent of my sin. I need God. Or as a believer who's drifted and you're returning to God, do not wait. You're not guaranteed another day, another hour. And someone once said to me, I'll have another shot at God someday, but I never saw that person again. Don't play games with God. Today is the day of salvation. Turn to him in full surrender and embrace what is hidden in plain sight. Chapter six of If My Book, If My People, Pastors and the Sin of Silence. Before we conclude... We need to address another hindrance to revival. And let me just state up front that countless, countless pastors and Christian leaders are currently doing amazing things. Many of them have invested into my own life and I praise God daily for them. But I also see a very disturbing trend taking place. Over the last few decades, Americans have witnessed the destruction of the institution of marriage between a man and a woman. The removal of God's word and most of the public arena, horrific racism and division and the blatant murdering of millions of babies and this huge push, uh, to change the gender of our young adults and our children. And I believe that this is an indictment against America and the pulpit is partially responsible. Yes, you heard, heard me correctly. I believe that the part, the pulpit in the churches of America, of the churches of America are partially responsible. Our silence speaks volumes. You see, the pulpit regulates the spiritual condition of God's people, which affects the nation. So a lukewarm, sex-saturated culture and church simply reflects the lack of conviction in the pulpit as well as the pew. What happens is the pulpit preaches the fire of God's word. Uh, Of course, the encouragement of God's word, the love of God's word, the mercy of God's Word, the totality, all of God's Word. And as the pulpit is on fire, it sets the pew on fire. And what follows after that? The community on fire. I'm talking on fire for God. Our families, and that's with God has given the pulpits of America, this incredible gift to be able to direct the nation and call the nation to repentance. And uh, that's what um, early Americans did. If you look back at even the 1700s, the first great awakening and how that sparked possibly the American revolution. Uh, and then even after that, uh, second great awakening and, and the pulpit would talk about hot button issues. There's just no way around that. Pastor Jim Garlow in a conversation with me recently said, there are approximately 364,000 churches in America, 72% or 264,000 of them are liberal, meaning they really don't care about the Bible. According to an exhaustive survey, somewhere between 6,000 and 15,000 actually have a bona fide biblical worldview. That is, they see life through the lens of scripture. Wow, that's incredible. Nearly 72% of churches don't look to the Bible as their final source of authority and direction. No wonder we're in the pickle that we're in. If you get, if you get 72% of the churches to basically remain silent or in many cases, worse yet, endorse ungodly agendas or by their silence, um, seem to endorse this ungodliness that is permeated our culture, then they are partially at fault. No wonder America is crumbling within. He went on to say, bold pastors are nearly extinct. It would be much easier to play church and make everyone feel good. The church as we know it will be function, will be functionally illegal very soon. And with the recent uh, Supreme Court of the United States decisions, the First Amendment has died. And he's talking about around 2020, I believe. And churches will very soon be forced to hire those who practice uh, homosexuality and will not be allowed to speak against a sinful practice. And I don't know when you're listening to this, when you're watching this. Um, I'm recording this actually in February of 2023 and just in the last decade we have seen um just a massive push towards uh sexual perversion and deviance and uh 10 years ago you know changing your gender wasn't as big of an issue um uh, the homosexual homosexual the homosexual agenda um wanted just hey just be recognized we want the same rights but then you know once that's a slippery slope and then it turns into something else and then now it gets worse and now You've got um, uh, men dressed as provocative women, pole dancing or doing drag shows, and people are bringing their children. We have been desensitized. And look how far we have drifted. Even, even when I came, since I came back to the Lord in 2000 or so, 1999, but it took me about a year to really get on track. Um, it's just amazing how far we have drifted. And I remember even back then why are so few pastors talking about it um why why is there so much silence and and uh, you know because silence does speak volumes so this last chapter of the book and if my people read this in case of national emergency uh, you can get the ebook online of course our church offers uh, free downloads of the ebook um, and we just want to get this message out there, so this chapter is not a rebuke per se i 'm not going to be naming pastors and and you know pounding my fist. it 's really a tear stained plea to return to God. The blood of unborn children and the effects of ungodly legislation are not just on the hands of the legislators or the judges, but also on the hands of capitulating preachers, those who remain silent Soci- Society can ignore. The, the the slaughtering of children, and they can mock the police, they can desecrate society, and they can pillage and destroy, they can redefine marriage, and they can support perversion and back ungodly movements, and pastors are not supposed to keep their mouth shut on these issues. Uh, I don't think so. We have to boldly say, hey, here's what God wo- God's word says. And we can love people. We love people that, that struggle in any type of sin. You know, when I tell this, we have people at our church who struggle with same-sex attraction. We love them. It's not, we, you know, we all have a propensity to sin somewhere. The difference is this blazing, this, uh, this, this blatant in-your-face, you know, bow to this God that I worship. And if you don't, I'm going to silence you so much for tolerance. This is not about tolerance. It's about accept our view or else. Uh, We don't want to know what your view is, and we don't want to know what the Bible says. So we need watchmen like never before. The irony of silent watchmen. The Bible calls pastors watchmen who are supposed to cry out and sound the alarm to awaken, to awaken a sleeping church, not sing it lullabies. The prophet Isaiah did not mince words about lazy watchmen. He said that they are blind, they are ignorant, and they are dumb dogs who cannot bark. Meaning meaning they cannot raise their voice to warn. They sleep and they lie down. They love to slumber. Just read Isaiah 56 today. At first glance, you may you might think, wow, this wording, Isaiah, that's a little too strong. But backing away from speaking the truth in love is a serious offense against God. God says, Hey, here's my truth. Now, some pastors are going to be more like John the Baptist um you know a little bold little you know little edgy little rough around the edges others are going to be like john the beloved a little bit more meek and and mild mannered and good bedside manners and but all of us all of us have to speak the whole truth of god's word uh just our our character makeup or our um you know how 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 we were created and and our emotional st- you know, our emotions, our emotional state, um, all of that uh, does not should not play a role in watering down the truth. The truth needs to come out in a way that God designed you. For some, it's going to be again Leonard Ravenhill, I think of. For others, it's going to be a a nice, more gentle shepherd. Um, and God calls us to speak the truth, especially especially on tough topics. Silence about sin is rebelling against the call of God. So I will challenge you if you're listening or watching this. Uh, we do have it on both formats. You can watch it uh, on, on my Rumble channel if you're listening and, and send this to pastors. Uh, let them know, hey, this is a tear stained rebuke. Uh, I'm sorry. This is not a rebuke. It's a tear stained plea from someone who has struggled in the past with wanting to be liked by everyone, by wanting just to be a motivational speaker, but understanding that the more time we spend with God, the bolder we become on these issues. Um, And so if a pastor's sermon, you know, doesn't upset the world from time to time, I have to seriously question their calling. Is their calling really from God? Few spirit-filled preachers are left. And when one raises up or, or is raised up, I should say, or they rise; they are quickly labeled as right-wing, extreme, or narrow-minded, judgmental, Pharisee, and the so-called evangelical church is on the verge of total capitulate total capitulation, especially on the cusp of the Supreme Court's recent decision. And this was again a couple of years ago, when it seems that they were um, allowing more and more um, opportunity to redefine God's uh, perfect. Um, picture of marriage, and what I call, and what others call this, these woke Christians, um, they are not woke to the things of God. Uh, they are um, asleep to the things of God, and they actually need to wake up. And they often do more harm than good by hashtagging and promoting false narratives and things that are unbiblical, and saying things that you know really challenge conservative Christianity and. There's a lot of pride in that, uh, very arrogant. And so you might think, you know, a nice, soft, liberal pastor, man, so humble. Actually, they're they're not. They're very arrogant inside. And so, yes, conservative, uh, you know, fundamentalists, you know, they can be arrogant as well. Arrogance comes up in all of us. I'm, I'm going to be working on pride until the day I die. So pray for me. But there's a difference between repenting from it and working on it. Than blatantly hiding behind this false sense of humility. And especially right now, we need to uh, unite against racism, for example, and call it out when warranted. But our capitulation to ungodly groups has led to cowardliness. We don't want to offend them uh, because that won't look good. Well, no, we 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 don't want to offend God and let God's word speak for itself. And I'll just tell you, God's word says it. I've seen it you're not going to please everyone by telling the truth. As a matter of fact, you're not supposed to please everyone. As another indication, the fact that upsets tells you you're on the right track. The world does not like the message of the cross. They do not like the message of obedience to God or fearing God. Uh, In trying to correct uh, the sin of racism, for example, the pendulum has swung in a dangerous direction. You know, now it's Um, again, 2023, February, when I'm recording this, um, so many people apologizing for being white. You know, it's the problem of the white person. Uh, The white people did See, that's just, that's actually reverse racism, or I should say racism. uh, On the other end, they're saying you're racist, but really by saying these things, it reveals their racism. So we have to call it out and uh, we don't have a skin problem. We have a sin problem. doesn't matter if you're your skin is white or black or brown in the middle or more of a, a brown tint or, I mean, it, it, pigmentation has nothing to do with it. It is a sin problem. The sin of racism, race, racism comes from a rebellious, angry heart that doesn't know God. And there's, so there's only one fix to this, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So pastors much must Preach about sin, repentance, and forgiveness. A person can only truly change by turning to Christ. The irony is that many pastors avoid talking about foundational truths of the Bible that lead to real heart change. Think about the irony of this for a minute. You know, in my area here, a pastor, I think he he left now, but he had a big church and it shrunk down. Uh, he apologized for being white and he got really behind all these ungodly uh, uh, um, movements and and condemning I mean, white people kind of, even though he was white. Um, the irony is, if he had just preached the, the totality of God's word, hey, uh, repentance, the blood of Christ cleanses us, the judgment of God, turn to God and, and be filled with the Spirit. If you preach these truths of God's word, it, yeah, it will upset some. There's no way around that. But to those whose hearts it penetrates, and they change, you see the shackles of oppression, the shackles of racism, the shackles of depravity falling off, and then being filled with love and joy and peace and contentment, and gentleness. So they think just by giving a good discourse, it's not even a sermon, and really chiding certain people, they're going to see change. Are you kidding me? Uh, that's why they're not seeing any change. That's why they're frustrated. And that's why many are leaving the ministry. It's unbelievable. And I would say, you know during the covid issue um you know obviously we're we're out of that now f- and for now um i mean the just the pastors that i know who are barely holding on maybe got second jobs uh or getting a different job closer church um it, it's it's pretty sad but in all cases that i'm aware of again i know there's exceptions but they didn't preach the whole counsel of god's word God was not their anchor. They weren't spending time in his word, broken, humble, fasting, praying, and being filled with the spirit. Then from that filling of the spirit, that's your foundation on which to build ministry. Without that, you're going to quit because that's, you're doing it in your own, uh, your own, um, natural, uh, abilities. And that, that never works when it comes to ministry. Um, and I, I believe that silent pastors are part of the problem. They are not part of the solution. Um, God instructs pastors and elders in his word clearly what to do. And and a good example of this, check out 2 Timothy 4. Paul said, "I charge you. I charge you." That's a that's a charge. <laughs> a hard hard word there, uh, meaning wake up, get with it. Look look ahead, look forward and embrace this. You, therefore, Timothy, and, and pastors, elders, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach the word. Nobody will disagree. No Bible theologian that I know uh, would say, well, that only means um, certain parts of his, his word that we think are relevant today, like a smorgasbord. We just pick and choose what we want. No, preach his word is the Totality, all of God's word—the pleasant things, the hard things, uh, the soft things, uh, the rigid things—it's it's it's all of God's word. And He said, uh, "Be ready in season and out of season." And what you need to do is convince people of the truth. You need to rebuke sin. You need to exhort them, and then with all long suffering that means you're going to suffer long it's going to be difficult it's going to be a painful process but you're, you you with all long suffering and teaching you keep persevering in this so it it doesn't say be ready in now season just make sure you love them and 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 coddle them don't say much don't upset don't rock the boat um to convince somebody means there's there's a not an argument necessarily but it's um um it's it's spiritual warfare there's a contending and then to rebuke that's pretty clear and an exhortation can go either way it can be encouraging um the bible talks about encouraging you know exhortation but then the word exhortation could also mean hey let me exhort you uh, this is not right uh this direction you're going and then paul in paul's letter to timothy um he said this set in order the things that were lacking and appoint elders he instructed titus to speak the things which are proper for Sound doctrine. Check out Titus 1 and chapter 2 as well. Uh, and he follows this charge with a practical list of those things that are required for holiness and for what older men and women need to do. They need to, the older women, women teach the younger women and the men uh, teach the men. Uh, and the reason I believe Paul says this is so that the word of God will not be blasphemed and you you when you teach all of God's word and let the chips fall where they may let God convict let God restore you your responsibility is to just deliver the message and you let him worry about how it sticks in the heart that way it's not blasphemy it's not um it could be the word um would be blasphemy it when we don't preach all of it um when we when when it loses its power, loses its edge, you have to remember the power of god's word is not only in the hearing of it it's in the application of it, and it's in the the whole preaching of his word. Uh, if you just tell somebody a half truth um you know that could be very destructive, and it is and that's exactly where we find ourselves today. In fact, our example was set by the apostles in in the uh in the early church. There arose a complaint that the Greek widows were being neglected and the apostles handled it rightly by instructing the believers to select seven deacons. And they said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word, all of God's word. What happened as a result, the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So when pastors and elders are obedient to their callings, doesn't mean the calling is going to be fun and easy, but when they're when they're um, steadfast and steadfast and faithful to what God has called them to do, God blessed, God blesses and God heals the church. The sin of prayerlessness, as the heart of cowardliness, at the heart of cowardliness are the sins of prayerlessness and pride, which are running rampant in many of our churches. The dry, dead, lethargic condition of the church accurately reflects an impotent prayer life and a lack of humility. Yes, they go together, folks. Yet in Acts 6, the apostles named two things to which they would devote themselves, preaching the word and prayer. Prayerlessness in the pulpit leads to apostasy and dead sermons. Prayerlessness in the pew leads to shattered lives and depression. Prayerlessness in men leads to the breakdown of family, and prayerlessness in Washington leads to the breakdown of society. And as Ian Bounds said, when faith ceases to pray, it ceases to live. Think about that. If you're dying spiritually, even as a believer, as a pastor, are you really cultivating a deep prayer life? Because when faith ceases to pray, it will cease to live, meaning live spiritually, a vibrant spiritual life. We have plenty of demands for protests, but where are the cries for prayer meetings? We have plenty of, of posts on Instagram and Twitter or TikTok, Facebook, you know, calling out the other side, but why aren't we calling sacred assemblies? Why aren't we calling prayer meetings? So when a pastor stands firm for truth, he is demeaned, mocked, and scorned. So be ready for that. Think about that. Or people will simply leave the church in search of a more loving pastor. But this persecution, according to Scripture, can be a badge of honor as long as our boldness is the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruit of an arrogant heart. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, Matthew 5.10. And I want to just clarify that. When a pastor stands firm firm for the truth, he will be demeaned, mocked, and scorned. Or people will simply leave the church in search of a more loving pastor. But be encouraged, those who are hungry for the truth and know when the Spirit of God is speaking and know when the Spirit of God is not, they will flock to hear that person because hungry people desire good, healthy food from God's Word, spiritual food. And this type of persecution from the world or carnal Christians or Pharisee Christians, um, it, it it the Scripture says this is a badge of honor, uh, because if you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, you know you are blessed because you are doing what God calls you to do. However, I've seen a lot of arrogant, mean-spirited pastors use this verse. Oh, I'm just being persecuted, brother. No, you're really arrogant and just a jerk. That's you better, you better get your heart right before God. Then apply that scripture. Now, ironically, the closer I draw to Christ through prayer and worship, the bolder I become. Did you catch that? The closer I draw to Christ through prayer and worship, the bolder I become. But the more I'm concerned with the opinions of others, the more fearful I become. Boldness cannot be worked up. It must be brought down as we surrender our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. Too many pastors join the ministry not to battle the darkness, but to sign a truce with the world. Did you catch that? Many pastors join the ministry not to battle darkness, but to sign a truce with the world, to be a motivational speaker. And the calling of a pastor is actually one of a soldier. Uh, It's like a farmer planting uh, the word of God or a soldier, Paul often uses illustration. And so, I think we have to really remember why we're doing what we're doing. It's if, If God hasn't called you, then get out of it. Go find something else, please. If God has called you to the ministry and you know it and your motives are right, then dig your heels in and we have all of eternity. This is the time to raise our voice like a trumpet. And hey, don't take my word for it. Repent of apathy. Spend a week in God's word. In the morning, in the evening, a season of fasting, worship music on get get rid of the distractions, and see what God tells you. I guarantee you he's not going to tell you to be silent unless you're an arrogant pastor. I guarantee he's not going to tell you you know just just become more passive than you already are. You know you're gonna light the fire of God in your heart, and that's really what what you're seeing. Let me drop this huge bomb if I haven't already what you're seeing in the pulpits of America simply reflects the spiritual condition of America's pastors. What they put in is what they're getting out. So it's crystal clear to me, they're not spending time in God's Word. They're not trying to find some hours every morning to seek Him and to humble themselves and to be filled with the Spirit. And as a result, the outcome is what we're seeing. That's why many, many, even now, a lot of these mainly, you know, well-known pastors out there, um, broad ministry, you know, they're not, they're not really speaking out. If you think about it, they're not really speaking out on these controversial topics. They're trying to, you know, they're not going to wade their feet into the waters here. They're going to stand on the outside and just not really offend anybody. The problem is spiritual, spirit-filled believers are starving for the truth of God's word. And uh, the world is desperately looking for it. And their silence uh, speaks volumes and their silence Could be damning at some point. Pulpits aflame with righteousness, a quote often attributed to Alex de Tocqueville. He was a Frenchman who authored Democracy in America uh, around the early 1800s. This quote helps to identify how far we have drifted. Check this out. This is amazing. I love this quote. He said, This it was not until I went to the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness. Did I understand the secret of her success? America is great because she is good. And if America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Pastors, we are not just cheerleaders. We are game changers. We are called to stir and to convict so that change takes place. Granted, there are many wonderful pastors and churches, I, I said that earlier, and I appreciate their ministry, but as a whole, the church has drifted off course. Many have lost the compass of truth, but there is hope if we look in the right direction. Zechariah three. therefore, say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord, and I will return to you. Boy, that's a promise you can take to the bank. A life changing promise for pastors. Return to him and he will return to you. Think about this for a minute. Could it be that the silence of many pastors is preventing a mighty move of God's spirit? I would say absolutely, because revival, spiritual awakenings often come in after seasons of prayer, yes, and fasting, yes. But also when the pulpits are aflame with righteousness, when the pastors are on fire, it's like they're they're calling down the fire of God in a good way, not judgment, in a good way. They're calling down the fire of God. So a dead pulpit is not going to begot or birth forth a spiritual revival. It it's just you, you I've never seen that in all of church history. Or in reading about revivals. I mean, look at Peter. He was on fire for God. He said, you stiff necked. You put Christ on the cross. Repent. Boom. 3000 come to, to know the Lord. You know, today's pastor might say, Hey guys, don't worry about it. You didn't know what you were doing. You know, as children, uh, you had a hard, hard life and, and, uh, you know, you just need to connect with your inner man and we need to not be so judgmental. And then the 3000 would have left empty and still rejecting God. It's that it's that fire of the spirit that must be preached again. But right now, um and again I don't mean to I'm not trying to paint all pastors in a bad light. What I'm trying to do is awaken uh sleeping churches. I'm trying to get them to really think. Um you might not like me, but you cannot ignore what God's word says about this era, area. Many of, many of the activities at church, for example, are good and they have their place. But when programs and going on in, goings on in the ministry get in the way of a pastor's true calling, we need to rethink our priorities, possibly even, um, shut down those things that are draining our time. A passionate plea to pastors, true preaching, True preaching comes when the wellspring of what God has deposited into your life is deposited into the hearts of others. But you can't give what you don't have. Dead pastors have dead churches and cowardly pastors have passive churches. George Whitfield, who many say sparked the first great awakening, wrote this in his journal while on a preaching tour of America. I'm persuaded that the general, the, the general sense of preachers Talk of an unknown and unfelt Christ, boy, we could say that today. The reason why congregations have been so dead is because they have dead men preaching to them. George Whitfield, seventeen hundred guys. See, I'm telling you, God doesn't need church buildings, marketing, or hype or promotion. He needs men filled with the Spirit of God. Micah three eight. But I truly. Well, actually, Mike, I believe, is declaring this in uh, chapter 3, verse 8. But truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgressions and to Israel his sins. I pose a challenge to America's pulpits. Mike is not saying this. I'm saying this. Where are the Isaiahs and the Jeremiahs calling the nation to repentance. Where are the Peters and the Pauls who spoke with such authority that martyred them? didn't even silence them. Where are the Whitecliffs and and the others who stood so unyielding for the truth? Where are the William Tyndalls and the John Husses willing to be burned at the stake for declaring the truth? Where are the Luthers who refused to back down from his faith? And he said, here I stand, I can do no other. Where are the John Calvins who are shaping the religious thought of our Western culture? Where are the John Knoxes who cried, give me Scotland for the cause of Christ, or I shall die. Where are the Whitfields? Who are shaking continents? Where are the modern-day Hal Harrises, the Daniel Rollins, and the Griffin Jones who are preaching with passion and ushering in, in revival like they did in Wells in the seventeen hundreds? And I ask again, where are they? Where are the John Wesleys saying, "Give me one hundred preachers <clears throat> who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and we will shake the gates of hell"? Where are the David Brainerd's who are spending so much time in prayer? that, it, that it convicted even the great Jonathan Edwards. Where are the Robert Murray McShaneys who caused people to weep even before <clears throat> he preached a word? Where are the Spurgeons speaking and preaching with such authority as to move queens and nobility to tears? Where are the D.L. Moody's who are bringing America to her knees? Where are the Evan Roberts who preached so powerfully against sin that people cried out, no more, Lord Jesus, or I will die? Where are the Puritans like Richard Baxter who said with such humility, I speak as a dying man? to dying men. So where are <clears throat> these people with uncompromising power and authority in the pulpits today? The one thing that all of these great men had is the one thing that many of us today are lacking. Authority and power of the Holy Spirit. They were men of extraordinary prayer, brokenness and humility. Men filled and clothed with, clothed with power from on high. Men who do the most for God are always men of prayer. Calvin Miller wisely said, Preaching, in one sense, merely discharges the firearm that God has loaded in the silent place. And Martin Lloyd-Jones stated, Preaching is theology coming through a man who is on fire. Are you on fire for God? To affect the pew, it first must begin in the pulpit. Let me offer a couple examples. Resources for you as I conclude this resource or this book. Fasting for a miracle, Elmer Towns. Fasting and and uh, eating for health, Joel Furman. God's chosen fast, Arthur Wallace. And as you can see, a lot these are all on fasting because revival and prayer and fasting go hand in hand. Uh, the ministry of fasting by J. G. Morrison. And then Fasting, there's an expanded edition from Gordon Cove, um, The Power of Prayer and Fasting from my friend Ronnie Floyd, A Hunger for God, John Piper, Revival Now Through Prayer and Fasting from Gordon Cove. And um, those books, when you set aside some a time for prayer and fasting, um, you will definitely see... Uh, God changed your life in in radical and powerful ways. So be encouraged. We don't want to end on a discouraging uh, note here. We want to to be very encouraging um, that, you know, the burden of responsibility rests squarely upon our shoulders. You know, it's our choice. Do we stand or do we fall? So those who have been apathetic and have not been speaking the truth, you simply have to say, Lord, I'm sorry, uh, ignite again a, a, a cry of of holiness and desperation in my own soul i want to speak your truth lord i'm I'm coming back to you fill me with your spirit and watch what he does or if you've been on an if you've been on angry tirades and for example you love everything i just said in this chapter you can't wait to tell pastors off brother let me let me humbly submit to you that you need to be humbled and use this opportunity to say lord i've been hard i've been critical i've been harsh God, please give me a soft, tender, humble, gracious heart and watch what he will do with that step of obedience and humility. It's amazing what God does with humility.